0: Perhaps fate today is the fourth of July.
1: And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution.
2: play Independence Day. The answer is us. All right. Why, hello, it is uh, three minutes and 14 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of June of the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live, not Memorex, but live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of HM970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends... Here's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. It is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Hope you had a gripping and satisfying weekend. Uh, all right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. For your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, two cents, uh, and uh, what have you, ruminations about the great space coaster, whatever it is you might have to bring to the table today. It's 503-733-2970. 503 733 uh, 2 nine seventy. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the fact that Sarah Dillon's wearing what appears to be a tracksuit from New Jersey this morning. You know, whatever it is you have.
3: <laughs> I like it. Okay.
2: It's pretty. No, 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 it is. I like it. And shiny. Okay. It's just I'm not. It's just not the sort of thing I'm used to seeing around. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just kind sort of a different look for you.
3: I know. It just it, it kind of jumped out at me, and I had the opportunity to have it. Um, it was too expensive for me, but then I had the opportunity to find it much cheaper.
2: Say this. <laughs> I'm looking at your tracksuit. Uh, say it's this. I'm not a track. I'm wearing a jacket. Say this. Say. And then I told Carmine to get the car fixed, but he wouldn't do it. I hate you. All right.
3: I'm just saying. Um, this is like my favorite color combination ever. So it makes me very
2: happy. I like it. No, it works. It's just, a, you know, you can make anything. Here's the thing. Is, uh, you can make anything work properly. It's just it's just a different page Ooh, from the Sarah Dillon style book. That's all I'm saying.
3: Inside too. It's all, like, pretty in line.
2: And then you're wearing what appears to be an Escher painting <laughs> for a <laughs> shirt.
3: <Oops>. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> all right. It's going to be a great week. Beginning... Now, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, it is uh, Monday, and welcome to Day 12. If you'd like to email us, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. And speaking of Richie and email, this is exactly how you want to start the week. So I was, the, uh, I was back there by the printer just now, and Richie comes up and says, Hey, did you get my really disturbing email this morning? And I just, and A, I didn't. And B, even if I had, I don't know that I would have read it. I mean, I think I see something from Richie that says in the subject line, I mean, really, the fact that Richie Bristol would look at something and find it to be disturbing, that's grading on a curve that I don't want any part of. That's, uh, that's like when, that's like when David Fincher looks at something and decides it's just a little too weird. Anyway.
3: Man, you do not want to read the responses. I've made the mistake of reading a couple of them. I don't
2: know what we're talking about. The people who... I don't know what the disturbing email from Richie was, because I didn't read it.
3: They're interested parties in his used sex toys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course they are. Well, it is Portland, Sarah, the home of progress. We're an open-minded people here in Portland. Well, in any event. No, I'm not going to read that. In fact, I'm going to delete all those right now. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Or you can uh, email if you like. It's rick at com. Here's what's coming up later on today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us today. Here's, I don't really know what Lisa's talking about, and let me tell you why. I don't mean I don't know what Lisa's talking about in the sense that she's smart and I'm dumb and she explains things and they don't make any, things that don't make any sense to me. I mean, I don't understand what Lisa's talking about today because the CNN prep sheet was... Prepared by somebody today who just did a bad job of copying and pasting. So here's what it says. Lisa Desjardins will be talking about the following subjects. CNN Radio's Bob Costantini was there this weekend and reports what's next. So uh, so Lisa is apparently on the clock to talk about something involving Bob Costantini. That's it. That's all I know. Uh, So we'll talk to... uh, I'm assuming it's about Hillary Clinton, but it's entirely possible it might not be. By the way... Uh, As Hillary was doing her, you know, her I will return uh, speech or whatever this weekend, it did seem to, it took her forever to really get to the, to get to the place in the speech where she actually bowed out. And I kept getting these text messages from people who were watching. Chris Neiman sent me one. He's like, is she ever going to say she's quitting?
3: I watched it. It was so inspiring.
2: It was. It was pretty great.
3: It was great. It actually made me tear up a little bit. Uh, You
2: know what? I dig Hillary Clinton. I really... uh, I do, too. I do. And you know the, and here's the thing. I don't... I don't want to start the whole week off on a political tip and I'm not trying to alienate Barack Obama supporters. I'm just saying because I take everything really per- because I take everything that happens in this world as a personal affront to me. Because everything that happens is about me. It's all about me and my feelings. Every single thing that happens anywhere.
3: I have to put your therapist said That's exactly what oh, my therapist Oh, you had another had. appointment between the
2: show and... Oh, we'll talk about today. that. Okay. But as I'm sitting there watching Hillary Clinton's speech on Saturday, I started to become really resentful of Barack Obama. I was <laughs> sitting there going, damn you, Barack How Obama. How gracious
3: Hillary was, and she's like, we we're traveling on separate paths, and now we've merged our <laughs> two paths into one. We all need to fight for our democratic family, and I was just like...
2: How dare you crush the dream of my sister? It sounded like something that the Muppets would sing. <laughs> Now's the time for saying goodbye, yes. Tim.
4: And to well, go
2: on and on. In any event. So uh, so we'll talk to CNA radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, who I don't think she was there, but I think Bob Costantini was there. Uh, and so I think that she'll be giving a recap of it. We'll talk to uh, CNA radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, uh, who will be uh, joining us from uh, New York City today. Uh, and because I think New York is going to be, I may be wrong about this, but I think New York is going to be where there's the first big Obama-McCain uh, face-off. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And uh, we'll talk to CNN radio correspondent, Amanda Moyer, today about what's the most relatable thing I could discuss today. Gas.
4: That's right, Sarah. Gas prices. You're not talking enough about gas.
2: Never let it be said that Rick Emerson doesn't give the people what they want. Trying to keep our finger on the, uh, the, the pulse of the Vox Populi. Uh, All I
4: noticed right. fewer cars on the road
2: this weekend, even in the suburbs. Did you, Tim? Really
4: crammed with cars. I Not went for a, a
3: bike ride yesterday, and there was more bike traffic than car yeah. traffic, and it put just a huge smile on my face. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, then. See? There are fewer cars on the road today. You know why? Because gas used to be less than it is now. Wow, you're really relatable. Gas. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you get a 10 share tim that and nothing but that
4: They repeat that phrase over and over
2: again we should just get our, our you know our hd channels would just be nothing but a guy sitting there going it used to be hot but today it's kind of chilly gas used to be two dollars now it's four and when i was a boy i could get popcorn and a movie ticket for 15 cents Cheat! and then it just goes back to the beginning it loops over and over again well the most popular hd channel in the cbs radio network tim Uh, What else? Uh, Taser watch coming up today. Penis watch today. Darwin watch today. Uh, For some reason, it's all bees and fire, too. I got, like, three different stories about people burning their houses down by accident, usually by hilarious accident. Uh, I got two different stories about people being set upon by bees, one of which has... Let me just tell you this. This is from uh, Phoenix, or Phoenix, as they say. This is from, uh, let's see... I think this is from our CBS affiliate down there. But, but the, the subject line is this. This is the headline of the story. Hiker, This doesn't even make any sense. Hiker stung 300 times says, I was bees. Quoting now from the article. That's from uh, KPHO News. Hiker stung 300 times says, I was bees. It's like the lull cat of the uh, insect world. I can has attacked by bees.
3: That sounds like I just found one of my old uh, bike bells the other day, and it used mm-hmm. to say, I heart my bike, but now the heart spins completely. Um, i my bike. It's faded just as i my, just... my bike.
2: <laughs> eh. I'm going
3: to be rocking that.
2: Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, today we'll be doing the top five. Uh, top five songs uh, with which Rick Astley's I uh, Never Gonna Give You Up, I Never Gonna Give You Up. I Can Has Astley. Back up here. Top five songs. What's going on here? (laughs) It's an Internet thing. Um, Tim, it's something the kids talk about on the the Intertron in the morning. Uh, Today, top five songs with which Rick Astley's never going to give you up shared the charts. That's what we're having uh, later today. We'll have a top five songs with which Rick Astley's never going to give you up shared the charts. And uh Gene Simmons from Kiss confirms what we all secretly knew to be the case all along. <gasps> what is it? Find out later. Here's Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today.
4: So we're going to have barrels of Hillary stuff. Also, uh, some Oregon hotels are enticing guests with free gasoline. An Oregon teacher who takes the student to a chair may keep her job. First Lady Laura Bush admires Hillary's grit. A tornado For what? Up. Grit. Oh. Not her grits. Okay. Well, she may make good grips. well, we know. A tornado picks up a dog and deposits it safely into a nearby field. A McDonald's will not use raw sliced tomatoes due to some salmonella scare. A skydiver jumps from a plane without having a parachute on yeah. All
3: right.
2: Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Dylan. Hello, how are you? Hi, hi. I'm doing very well. Oh, are you indeed?
3: I am indeed so. That
2: was your weekend? Satisfying?
3: It was good. Yeah, I went. Um, yeah, spent a lot of time with friends, and then yesterday went for a really long bike ride, and went and ended up going to the Rose Festival, which is like all different levels of hell. When
2: you say you go to the Rose Festival, do you mean to the? I mean the carnival part of it, or the?
3: Yeah, yeah, like the part that you go in, and um, I went with the farmer, and we went and uh, watched, like people watched and stuff. It was pretty entertaining. Saw a couple of listeners actually.
2: Did you have a funnel cake?
3: No, I didn't eat anything. We basically just planted ourselves on a bench and like watched enormous people walk by for an hour. Now, was this... Pregnant
2: teenagers, beer bellies. Oh,
3: that was all it was. Pregnant
2: teenagers going on rides that whip you around at speeds approaching 17 Gs. What did I do with my cigarettes?
3: <laughs> and the rides were all scary, and you can tell that they... I mean, yeah. not that I'm sure that they care about their jobs. I'm sure they're like... a fine advertiser, Sarah. Yes, but just everything looked so scary, and everyone was so big. And I'm like, oh, this is just the worst thing ever. Yeah. And like screaming babies, there were so many... Like, the ratio of people to strollers was, like, one to one. There's so many strollers there.
2: Oh, yeah. Now, and you'll never feel thinner than when you go to an event like that. That's the thing. If you See, ever... it makes
3: me not want to eat funnel cake when if I'm you're...
2: there. Really? See, oh, I have yeah. totally the opposite reaction. When I'm surrounded by big just tubs of lard, I'm just like, I can eat all I want. I'd have to eat like this for years to become like that guy over there. Get mm-hmm. me a candied apple. Uh, so yeah, it's like well, it, it is like going to Lloyd Center where you just if you ever feel bad about yourself or you just feel down or you're feeling like maybe you're not the most attractive or stylish person on earth, man, you hang out like five minutes by that Cajun Grill place. I mean, it's just, you're gonna I mean, you're gonna feel like you just came off a Paris catwalk. And the uh, now, did you do the thing? Where, did you actually go in where you had to buy the tickets and yeah, walk inside? Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, he actually had a couple free passes, so I didn't have to pay for anything. So we just yeah, we just went and wandered around, um, contemplated going on the rides, so but I just I don't really like carnival rides. The only one I really wanted to go to was the Ferris Wheel, but the line was like 50 people long. So.
2: Yeah, uh, Laura went out of town before we could do the uh, the Rose Festival, so my not having been on a Ferris Wheel for 35 years streak remains intact. That, and, and I think, as I mentioned, when I went to Magic Mountain last time, I've just become a huge pussy. I just...
3: Me too. Like, when I was looking at those rides, like, there's the zipper and all these things, I'm like, how, like, why am I going to put my life on the line for, like, a little rickety, you know, like, five minutes of fun? I just didn't, I don't
2: think I wanted to do that. And, and maybe it's just because I've just, I, I don't know, just become a sissy or something as I've grown up, but I just, I don't know at what point I found that amusing or entertaining or or sort of fun I mean I know that I did I'm not trying to knock people who go on those rides I'm just saying the time in my life at which you know what it is and not to be all high handed and philosophical about it but Stephen King has this whole thing about how as human and he's not the only one but I mean he he wrote a a great essay one time about how as humans we're always uh, sort of rehearsing for death sort of because death is a great intangible and and it's sort of your brain can't really conceive of it and it's an overwhelming fear and it looms out there and it's the great unknown inevitable and so that through a lot of things we as humans are always trying to get used to the idea of death and that's why we like horror films and that's why we like scary books and that's why we like uh, haunted houses and he knows that that's why we like carnival rides too especially ones that make you feel like you're about to be flung into the sky or into a tree and so his whole thing is that you go on scary carnival rides because your your body and your brain are constantly trying to accept the idea of imminent demise but that's so interesting also I would agree with that except with the following proviso that I think that's a lot more attractive to you when you're a kid you know what I mean because uh, Sort of as you get older, I think your sort of uh, I think your sort of romantic fixation on death fades. As I mean, not like I'm old, but I mean I think I think it's a lot easier to have sort of romantic ideas about death and your demise when you're 17. You know, when you don't think it's actually going to happen. Because when you're 17 or 18, that's right when you write all your death obsessed poetry. You just sit there in creative writing class or in study hall or something. I walk hand in hand with the shadow. I walk with my doom in the dark valley of my chasm of my existence, surrounded by humans who don't know the dark side of things that I live with every day. You know, And and you're, just, you're sitting there convinced that you know more about mortality and about the bleaker side of existence than anybody who's ever lived. You don't see anybody who's 55 years of age sitting around writing poetry about how they're going to embrace the sweet hand of death. Because I think if, as soon as... As William Holden would say in the movie Network, as soon as death becomes a sort of definable thing to you with recognizable features, I think that's when it becomes less interesting. So I think... I think that's really the carnival ride thing to me. I think when I was about 18, when you absolutely feel indestructible, that's when you go on rides that make you feel like you're about to die. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I'm about to die about one day out of five now, so I don't really need to pay like $9 to have some toothless guy run me on a ride that makes me feel that way again.
3: Hey, speaking of horror movies, I did watch a great scary movie this weekend called The Orphanage.
2: I don't know what that and is, and it's
3: by the same director who did Pan's Labyrinth. I can't remember. Oh it's right, Guillermo. Uh,
2: Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Yeah.
3: It was one of the most beautiful, interesting horror movies I've seen in a really long time.
2: You know that guy is doing The Hobbit. He's doing the prequel to The oh, Lord yeah? of the Rings. Yes, he is. Honestly,
3: this way, I think you'd really enjoy it. I mean, it was really scary, but it was a it was a very pretty story.
2: You know what I watched this weekend? Hm. Family Guy. I watched 25 episodes of Family Guy this weekend.
3: Yesterday, I watched about eight.
2: That is a. I I spent 12 and a half hours of my, what li- my life. What season are I uh, All the way through. I'm doing season three. I'm doing it kind of backward. I watched season four, then season three, and I'm starting on season two. So it's sort of a Benjamin Button kind of a thing where I'm working my way backward. Yep, I, I just watched season three, and then I watched five. Now I'm, I'm watching one and two. That's all I did. I didn't do anything else. I meant to, like on Friday, I didn't go to see Top Gun. I didn't go to the Midnight Movie because I had originally, speaking of getting old, I had originally planned to go see um, Hatebreed at the Roseland uh, because Hatebreed is hypo-negative, and then it turned out that band Three Inches of Blood, uh, which some people speak really highly, was playing. And so I'm on the phone with my wife, who's in Orem, uh, Utah, and so she's like, what are you doing? Well, I have this ticket to see Hatebreed. I think I'm going to go down to the Roseland. So my wife got to hear the entire bell curve of my interest in Hatebreed in that I was on my way there. Then I'm going over the bridge. Then I'm down by the Roseland. And then I start doing the litany of complaints about, I don't know, I just can't find anywhere to park. it. I'm going to have to walk like three blocks to get to the Roseland. For, you know, and it's raining. I don't know. I've got a headache you know i don't have any earplugs with me and so this is so she's hearing the whole long list of reasons why i'm suddenly like i mean and that really right there that just drives the point home to you that you are in fact just an aging x metal guy that it one but i don't know it's raining and i don't have any earplugs I'm just going to go home. So I ended up just turning around and back home. I drove all the way to the Roseland, but the idea that I was going to have to walk like four blocks and that it was going to be... I found myself at one point actually saying this on the phone of my wife because she's like, well, you're a big fan. Why aren't you going to go? And I go, it's going to be really loud. And that was I just, the, you know, with the Kanye
3: West thing. Like, I got there and I'm like,
2: no, I can't do this. Yeah. can't do
3: this. Like, after finding, you know, like a place to park and everything. No, and
2: I just and i How did
3: you just know you can't do
2: it? I just had to admit to myself, like... I just don't want to go sit in a room with like a thousand sweaty metal guys while the dude screams at me from on stage. I'm, I'm just going to go home and watch TV. So that's what I did. So that was my weekend. Uh, all right. It's 5.03-733-270, so we'll get the, some phone calls here in, uh, in just a moment. Coming up later on today, the day, top five songs with which Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Share the charts. Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, Amanda Moyer, Taser Watch, Penis Watch, uh, Darwin Watch... I think that was kind of it. I don't. I don't think anything else really happened to me. Oh, and I oh, went, no, my and second, it, yeah, I went to my second. I went to my second shrink appointment on Friday. So Friday I had not one but two shrink appointments. I went Friday morning to a woman who was going to assess whether or not they should be, you know, doping me up with big piles of drugs. And uh, so that was Friday morning, and then I have to go in for a follow up in like four weeks on that. And then Friday afternoon I went to see my other shrink, also in Clackamas. I don't know why they can't. You want to talk about maybe it's just because by the time you've driven through hours of you know what seems like interminable clackamas in landscape, by the time you get there, if you're not depressed already, you will be depressed when you arrive. So I'm sitting there talking to my shrink who I quite like, but I can already tell it's one of those things where because I am paying for it, I have to be really careful to sort of keep things on track because we find ourselves just deviating into just sitting there just chatting away. So at one point I realized we've been talking for fifteen minutes about our favorite Ray Bradbury novels. And you know, and that's and then you kind of have the mental you have the sort of the the, uh, the meter going in your head where you realize you're paying about a dollar seventy five per minute. <laughs> uh, in any event, so nothing nothing really big to report. But I'm going to see him again this week. Good. Kevin, I'm crazy. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
5: Hi Rick. Hi, Hi. Tim. Hi Sarah.
6: Hello.
2: What's up?
5: Hello. Oh, I wanted to, I have a uh, for uh, show start. I'm yeah. sorry. What? Huh? Independence Day, The um, less than an hour, but in German. You can find a German language track for that to see if, you know, it sounds like you-know-who. <laughs> no. How's that sound?
2: Let's back up for a second. What?
3: No, he wants to find the Independence Day speech, but in German.
2: Are you asking us to play the Independence Day, open, oh, the, the, the Bill Pullman Independence Day speech, but yeah, dubbed but in German? Right. Do you have any idea where I could find that, sir?
6: Mm, well, on the uh, DVD with the
2: German
5: uh, track.
2: I don't think you can do that, though. I think it's just subtitled, right? Like, I don't think... Does the DVD for Independence Day have an alternate dubbed track, Sarah? Do you know?
3: Oh, I don't know. I don't know if my copy Because if
2: it does, I mean, I have that. But I think mine is just English. I don't think mine... Uh, I think we kept it in the in, in God's language, sir. I don't think we dubbed it in any sort of savage tongue. Oh, too bad. Well, I'll look for it.
5: Okay, thanks.
2: Thank you. Uh-huh. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
5: Hey, Rick. How's it going? What's up? Hey, uh, you know, you guys were talking about carnivores, how you don't go anymore. And I've noticed that as I get older and I get out of bed and I can't quite move like I used to, I just wonder why would I punish myself by going on one of those?
2: Especially because those rides are just nothing but sphincter clenching for like four minutes. You know what I mean? It's just a whole lot of every every nerve in your body just kind of going. And then you get off and you feel exhausted because you've just been all cranked up for like three and a half minutes.
5: Yeah, and then you know, as I got older, I got more into engineering. But I actually look at the rides, and that just scares the hell out of me.
2: That's when you realize exactly how many things there are that could go go wrong and fall apart at any moment.
5: The worst part is, is my is my teenager. Uh, he goes, uh, he loves to go on those rides, and he looked at him and he goes, Hey, you know, there's just a cotter pin holding these things on. <laughs> there's mm. just like
2: a there's like a half inch pin that could just like a linchpin pin that could just be sheared off at any moment.
5: And, then he, you know, and he walks up to it, and he assesses the carny standing
2: there, and he gets off the right, and he goes, Hey, that guy was stoned. <laughs> Assessing the carny. The, here's the other thing I think about, and I'm not speaking specifically about any, any event. I'm just saying it, it's sort of temporary carnivals, let's call them, because there's, you know, there's Magic Mountain, there's Disneyland, and then there's just sort of the traveling transient carnivals, and those are the ones that really freak me out because... It is, as I always say, it's like when I'm driving across the Ross Island Bridge and you realize that every single car going past you in the oncoming lane, they have veto power over whether you live another 10 seconds or not. I mean, all it takes is just one guy passing you in the oncoming lane going, well, that's it. I've had it. (laughs) Dead
5: are three trucks that take up the whole
2: bridge
0: and another car coming.
2: Totally. And so I think about that every time I see one of those carnival rides. I'm like, eh, eh, eh. all you're basically relying on is the hope that the guy running the ride didn't have an exceptionally bad morning where his dog was hit by a truck, his wife left him, and he found out he has a tumor.
5: Yeah. So everybody yeah. think about that. All right. One other thing. Yeah. Uh, my son was diagnosed ADHD, and for a while he was on Ritalin to so his yes, doctor. And basically it's... Just eat.
7: Yeah. Your brain.
5: And as you get older, what happens is they give you Ritalin, and your brain works so fast it actually slows down, and that's why you feel first.
2: Wait, so should I take it or not?
5: Uh, I I wouldn't. We took him off Ritalin. Oh. He's, he's just uh, he was he's just a kid that would be considered uh, a little hyper when he was younger, and now that he's older, he is so much into engineering that he actually designs like cars and all kinds of crap,
2: so. Well, excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, blah blah blah-blah-blah. I don't know. Time
5: management is all you need. What's that? You just need some time management. A yeah. little crazy goes <laughs> is good for everybody. I'll get
2: right on that. I'll put, it in my, I'll put it in my Franklin Covey planner. Thank you, sir. There you
5: go. I was trying to
2: come up with some sort of interesting way to tag that call, but I didn't have it. Instead, I will make these two small observations, then we'll take a break. We'll come back with a Cena radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. One... Uh, apparently, I have this from uh, a listener. said this in. Uh, did anybody watch the Rose Parade on TV? No. No. Okay. And I got
3: o- sucked into the Trinity Broadcasting Network again. Sir. Again, were
2: you watching Davy and Goliath? I watched
3: Davy and Goliath. It was all about bowling.
2: Were they bowling for Christ?
3: No, no. It was it was about frustration and how you have to work hard to be at something because Davey wasn't practicing about being a good bowler. He was actually just praying, and he was like, why isn't God making me a good bowler? But oh, then Davey, Davey learned the lesson. Oh, I know. Goliath is so creepy.
2: Let's go protest
0: at a funeral.
3: I love you anyway, Davey. Um,
2: uh, anyway. Well, Davey, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, this is uh, Rick about 11:33 uh, a.m. on the Rose Parade broadcast. The host, announcer, reporter, parade commentary guy kept talking about his quote, "Panther Musk." There you go. That and finally this. Uh, so my wife is incarcerated with her uh, loved ones in Provo, Utah, right now. And the, the Mormon Church, they do this thing. I think it's once a month, or it's like one Sunday out of the month, or maybe it's just when there's a baptism. But you have to do a whole thing where you fast. Which just sucks. I mean, fasting is one of the worst things. I mean, really, when you look at the bad things religion has given us, I mean, it, it's right up there with racism and the Crusades. I mean, fasting. And so you're not allowed to eat. You have lunch on Saturday afternoon, and you're not allowed to eat until dinner on Sunday. So it's like, like 30 or 36 hours, basically, that you have to fast. And so she called me up about it, and she was just, like, livid. I mean, she was just all filled with anger. that my wife, who's not religious, was having to fast because of her nutcase family.
3: not eating just makes you cranky. Yeah,
2: and that's the thing. So she's cranky to begin with because she's in Provo, and then she becomes crankier because she's not eating. So somebody, here's a great idea. I'm just going to pass this along because she's not going to do it. So there ought to be somebody out there, maybe like an embittered ex-Mormon or Catholic or something, because the Catholics make you fast sometimes, too. Somebody ought to write an angry blog about religious fasting called... The Fast and the Furious. Ah, Yeah! And I'm out! All right, back after this. Lisa Desjardins. Stay uh, right there. We'll be... Hey! Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program... 503 733 2970. Coming up later on, senior Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Amanda Moyer, Top 5 Songs with Which Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, shared the charts. Uh, Taser Watch, Darwin Watch, and Sad Yet Predictable News from Gene Simmons. Something, by the way, that I called years ago. Years ago, I said this was gonna happen. They thought I was crazy. They said I was a fool. Let's welcome now to the record. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, howdy, how are you? Hello, how are you guys? I am fantabulous. How was your weekend? It,
8: it was, you know, it was unexpectedly um, tranquil.
2: Because, now, did you um, did you get trucked off to the uh, to the Hillary Clinton thing or they send somebody else to do that?
8: No, noodles went and covered Hillary, which, thank goodness, because, you know, I was feeling kind of...
2: Because you didn't want to go.
8: Lousy. No, you know, I just want to go, but I I, I just, you know, the truth is I had to take my mom grocery shopping, and I was <laughs> with a conflict.
2: <laughs> really?
8: Seriously. Then did I, you have to I, go I, rescue I, cats
2: from trees and take food to the homeless? Did I
8: have Friday off, and I didn't say why. It sounded too corny, and I'll do it Saturday. If I can get Friday off, I got this thing I got to do. He said, no, no, we'll just send Bob, and thank God they did because uh, I really, I got hit. I got walloped Friday night. And I was out for the count with some kind of bug all weekend.
2: It's probably Ebola.
8: If, you know what? It, it feels like Ebola.
2: Is it flu-like symptoms?
8: It is flu-like symptoms, Do you yes. feel
2: generally fatigued?
8: Fever, fatigue, ache.
2: Have your insides liquefied into a black paste?
8: <laughs> you know what? It feels like it.
2: All right. Well, there you go. Well i le- you will understand by the way if I keep the transcript and a recording of this conversation and I give it to the Museum of TV and Radio in New York City as your final appearance on the airwaves.
8: Yes, I think that's why.
2: All right. Um, well so did you uh, did you sit there sort of sickly and feverish in bed watching the Hillary Clinton thing?
8: I did. I did on our on our couch. I was watching, yes. So
2: it was it was simultaneously it was sort of uh, it was sort of sad and inspiring. Uh it it did. I was getting text messages from from friends of mine who did who up until I think she actually left the stage. I think there were people who were expecting her to, no, but no, I will continue to fight on. I mean, it, it was, it's just because you realize it's not really just Hillary Clinton who was sort of unable or unwilling or, or was hesitant to accept the idea that she had lost. I think that everybody sort of felt that because she has this, you know, this reality distortion field that sort of convinced us that she couldn't possibly lose. True. So up until yeah. she actually kind of bowed out officially, I think everybody was sort of expecting her to take out a scimitar and d- d- announce that she was going to be plunging on ahead. <laughs> so the question is, she hasn't actually, but she still hasn't actually, like, like quit, right? She I mean, she's just suspended things, which means she still she hasn't released any of her delegates or whatever, right? That's
8: correct. She's doing what John Edwards already had done, and but essentially it, it means that she will have, if she wants them. um, a very large amount of votes at, to sort of to edge history with at the convention.
2: And so this, how does that how does that work? I mean, is that when they go to the convention, uh, is she then sort of like a uh, is she like one of those people in the electoral college, you know, that speaks for you know forty nine thousand people or whatever who cast their votes in some state? Is that how Hillary? She can just get up and use those use the delegate votes for whatever she wants, or how? Do, I don't even know how that works.
8: Yeah, she. will to decide. I mean, right now, the way it is, the message she's sending to her delegates at this point um, is, is uh, she hasn't changed anything. So she hasn't told them uh, to go with Barack Obama, specifically her delegates. She told everyone else, hey, let's unify. I want you to vote Barack Obama. But she hasn't specifically told her delegates, hey, I want your, I want you to vote. She has not released them, as you said. So what would happen now if nothing else changes is you would have that, you know, the great state of Missouri casts, and then it would be, you know, what I don't know Missouri's delegate vote, but it would be something like uh, 58 votes for Barack Obama, 47 for Hillary Clinton. It's probably It was actually as a close vote, so probably closer than that, like 58, 56. Um, and, and in the end, everyone would know that the total would go to Barack Obama. But, you know, it's hard to honestly imagine that because you would hear state after state Saying someone else's name other than the nominee. How great would that this be? Very awkward. Come on, how, but, you,
2: you, you, but let's just let's just <laughs> speak together as journalists here, as journalist and nitwit pundit. Uh, I feel really bad. It's like you're dying. I'm sorry. It's, it's like so you've got Captain Trips.
8: You know, what, I hit my cough button. I double hit it by accident. and I turned it on. Sorry.
2: You know what they ought to do in the studio? Here's if I, if this was a wacky Family Guy episode, I'd have a cough button that just made a coughing noise. <laughs> so I would press it. Hold on a second. I gotta hit my cough button. <laughs> <laughs> and then right next to it, there'd be one that said loud belch, and then next to that would be one that said eh, comedic flatulence. <laughs> um, eh, let's see, blah, da, blah, 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 blah. But let's just admit, as, it, as just as thrill-seeking adults, Lisa Desjardins, let's admit that it would be kind of great to To see her just sort of hang, tough. And to see everybody have to get their go the yeah, the great state of Kentucky cast, blah blah blah, votes for Barack Obama and a lot of votes for Hillary Clinton.
8: Right, but you know, I don't want to knock out in the first round. Yeah, I want something to cover. It's true, but I think that you know. But then you have to have your come on. What about your citizen side? What's best for the democracy, Rick?
2: Are you asking me, or are you asking Hillary Clinton?
8: I'm asking you. I don't
2: have a citizen side.
8: But I'm just. <laughs> I mean, it? You know, this is over. Is it, does it really help the political process to sort of endlessly speculate over it still being a fight when it's clearly not? I
2: mean, maybe it doesn't help the political process, but it helps to amuse me. I mean, that's really it. I mean, you know what it is? This This whole thing... Now, see, I just said you just missed it. I was doing this whole uh, monologue before before we broke and, and came back here uh, about about the nature of man and his own sense of mortality and how carnival rides are just a death rehearsal because we're constantly kind of trying to come to grips with our own inevitable demise and so forth. Possibly, right? So, so having okay. having said all of that, let me make another nihilistic statement here, which is that really everything is just an attempt to kill like 85 years before you die and to do so in an amusing fashion if possible. That's it. I mean. I mean, really, the the idea that somehow whatever it is I say or do or however it is I root for people to behave is going to make the world a better place is just – that's just foolish, Lisa. (laughs) So my whole thing is just to sort of amuse myself and uh, get some chuckles uh, for me and mine uh, before everybody sort of takes a dirt nap. That's my whole thing.
8: You're you're giving me the old old godfather – Who's being naive,
2: Kay? (laughs) That's exactly what it is. (laughs) Presidents and senators don't have people killed, Michael. Now who's being naive, Kay? (laughs) Can I just tell you this about The Godfather? You know what I watched this week? I watched Godfather 3. You know, boy, that movie gets a bad rap. I think so, too. I could not agree more. I have to tell you, I think the people, it it is so, uh, I won't say fashionable, but I think it is such, it's, Godfather 3 is one of those movies where it's like we all took a vote and everybody sort of just decided or was told that they have to say it's bad. Yeah. You know, The Godfather 3 is not a bad film, and I would say that I find it to be a really satisfying conclusion to the Godfather trilogy. I really do.
8: I, I could not agree more. I love mm-hmm. bringing the whole Catholic Church plot in. I thought yeah. that was fan- Fantastic. Now, I will agree, Sofia Coppola.
2: She's a bum, she's a bum note.
8: She, she, and I think, I think other, you know, if it hadn't been, people were looking for a reason, I think. Yeah. Not to like the movie, and they, and she gave them a reason. But other than that, I think there is some great stuff in that movie. It, I mean, it's, you know. Now, it's not up to the other two, but it's really, you know, put it side by side with Spider-Man 3.
2: I would I would say that, you and you're, know...
8: And you'll see, it's, it's God-
2: good. Godfather 2 is generally accepted as being the best of the series, and I get with that. But but Godfather 3, really, again, a couple of bum notes notwithstanding, and I know people who actually, it's a guy I work with named Court who actually defends Sophia Coppola's performance and says that it's, the problem is that everybody else is very melodramatic and she's very natural, like a sort of disaffected teenager would be, and so it seems whatever. And that's, I guess that's angels on the head of a pin. Yeah, it's
8: like... It's
2: a rhythm thing, right. But, but but right. you know, it is just, if you look at the Godfather films as as a trilogy, one, two, and three, it is really the only way the series could end. It had to end the way that it did with Godfather 3 because it's, and I don't mean to be, I guess I should give a spoiler warning, even though the movie's been out for freaking 18 years. I mean, it's 20 years old. But right. the, the idea that the Godfather trilogy is one, not unlike Star Wars, it is, you know, Star Wars is the, is the story of, Uh, Darth Vader starting as a good man and being corrupted and becoming evil Uh, you know it's the fall of Anakin Skywalker and the Godfather uh, trilogy is not about Marlon Brando's character it's not even really about the family it is about the fall of Michael Corleone and his transformation from a good man to an evil man and the the great the most telling moment in Godfather 3 I don't even know how we got onto this is this (laughs) is there's two things a which is when Michael Corleone is in, is in the Vatican, and he is giving his confession. And he says, he's like, I've had men oh. killed. I've killed men. I killed my brother. And he's confessing to the bishop that uh, he's killing Alfredo, And the bishop says to him, says, you can be redeemed uh, you know if you renounce your evil works, basically. And Michael Corleone says, I swear on the lives of my children right, that's that, right. that I will renounce evil and I will be redeemed. And so what happens, though? Right. What happens is... Michael Corleone in Godfather 3 hands uh, the family over to Vincent Mancini, as played by uh, uh, Andy Garcia. He hands the family over to Vincent uh, Mancini, knowing that Vincent uh, will embroil the family in the drug trade and have people killed, as indeed he does at the opera. And so there is a little bit of instant karma, as John Lennon would say, because as soon as Michael Corleone hands the family over to Vincent Mancini... The family begins to do evil, which Michael must have known would happen, and what happens? His daughter is then killed, and he loses uh, his daughter and his wife in one moment, or right. his ex-wife in one moment, and that's why he has to die old and alone, because he chose evil. I I, I agree. <laughs> I'm just saying, that, that and how great is this, by the way, Coppola mentions this on the commentary, that... Just as all through The Godfather, and especially in Godfather 3, Al Pacino keeps saying uh, that you have to be careful because they won't come at you, they'll come at your children. They'll come at your children, they'll come, and that's why he won't let his daughter date Vincent. Uh, Not so much because they're cousins, but because he doesn't want the daughter to be targeted if Vincent is the head of the household. Now,
8: that's a debatable point, but I hear you.
2: uh, Well, Coppola points out that he really, that hit home with him because when the movie came out, Everybody was looking for a reason to take down Francis Ford Coppola because he was perceived as being such an egomaniac and oh. they didn't even go after Coppola if they went after his daughter. That's pretty great. And so he on the commentary, you can tell it's like 20 years later and he's still just immensely pissed off about it. Wow. He just you listen to the commentary and he's just still so furious that they that they took him down via his daughter.
8: So. You know, I will say one of my uh problems much more superficial. Uh I really think Diane Keating suffered from uh being part of Annie Hall. <laughs> I just think uh, the the fashion just bled over.
2: Uh, that she's worn a lot of pantsuits? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah, yeah. no, it's true. And Maybe, if you notice,
8: ever it's been imported from a Woody Allen movie.
2: And ever since having uh, been in Annie Hall, that's like every every time Diane Keaton is in any movie, she's wearing, she's dressed like my shrink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, constantly. So, no, I'm with you on that. Well, I'm glad to know that you like The Godfather, the part yeah. three. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's...
8: Are you kidding? Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. Good for you. All right, so quick updates then. We've got Barack Obama's vice presidential selection team. On the hill today, they are trying. They are meeting with big, the big power hitters up here, the big top Democrats. Uh, I think four or five senators, a couple of House members, to get their opinion and start getting a list together of candidates.
7: All right then. Well, go
8: so, and then we've got he starts his economic tour today. He started it in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, big, you know, really took some big hits at John McCain. John McCain off the campaign trail today, uh, some fundraisers for him. And other than that, it's actually a, a pretty quiet day. FBI came out with a report saying that crime, uh, actually went down last year. We'll see what happens this year. Uh,
2: have you seen that weird video of, uh, Barack Obama taking Joseph Lieberman aside?
8: Yes, <laughs> in the Senate? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and did you see what Newsweek reported about that? No. That, 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 that entire conversation, was about, this is according to Newsweek, uh, Barack Obama was taking Lieberman to task for being uh, wishy-washy on the issue of Barack Obama being Muslim or not. Really? <laughs> that, right, that Lieberman uh, was sort of like, well, you know, I don't understand those things are out there, <laughs> and you know, it's not true. I, I well, You know, I understand people bringing that, you know, and, and that Barack Obama was saying to him, no, listen, this is really a problem, I'm yeah. not. Muslim, and this is part of this whole campaign against me. And I really—you don't want to be on
2: the wrong side of that guy this year.
8: People like yeah,
2: yeah. Always, as Richard Nixon once said, presidents don't threaten; they don't have to.
8: <laughs> All right, uh, Lisa. Maybe I hope he needed you need to do some more. I don't know.
2: I hope you feel better. Uh, so, and uh, if you're on the clock <laughs> tomorrow, we will speak with you then. If not, um, you well, know, I mean, it's I been like it's been trip nice trip, knowing up. you.
8: CNN, you've got Steve and Amanda coming up. It's a triple hit.
2: It is true. So, all right, uh, uh, go home, have lots of fluid, stay okay. off your feet, and, uh, I don't know, think about ponies. Okay. <laughs> all right, thank you, Lisa. All right, there you go. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and what gentlemen. What inspiring Fantastic. words, Rick. I just, I couldn't, What well, you know, I had nothing. Uh, I had nothing except more stand references. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show.
6: Oh, just to continue on, you were talking about carnies earlier. Yes, sir. And carnivals, all things carnival. Um, Can anybody
2: first, name a famous carny who's not Carney Wilson? Who who would want to? I, don't know. I got I nothing. Don't. No, I. Okay, don't. go ahead.
6: Oh well. Anyway, I, I was going to say my my first. Um, uh, I, I walked upon a uh, carny. Uh, we used to have have the carnival come out to our high school, you know, um, raise money. They'd have a little whatever, you know. Um, and I think it was my first year.
1: Uh, and I walk out uh, on campus, and I see this carny, uh showing two of my classmates how to shoot uh, craps. And that was that's like, pretty
2: great. That's like full. That's like right out of Huck Finn. It really is. Oh, pretty much. Well, it was just. I mean,
1: that's like the worst
6: thing that you can. And they don't. They, that was the last year I ever saw them. They they never came back. So I don't know if somebody else dropped the
5: ball or uh, dropped a dime on them or what. But
2: excellent. Thank you, my friend. Your school. Yeah.
5: All right. I'm, there you go.
2: Carney culture. That's it. Carney culture uh there ought to be a band called the carnies if there isn't already oh i'm sure like there some is. punk band called the carnies
4: uh let's see here
2: all right yeah, there's an awkward hey. email about being me and lisa i'm not going to read this hi you're on yeah. the rick emerson show hello uh by the way art Carney. but uh art Carney. there it is okay
6: um i left some long playing records and a dvd
2: for you last Ah, uh, the dead moon stuff yeah. Yeah, that was uh, kind of sitting up at the front, of it, and, I, I, and I actually did get it. So, yes, thank you so much. Okay. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but it is but it is sitting right next to my desk as we speak.
6: Okay, I just wanted to make sure, because the, the unsolicited the other day you were talking about, you know how you're supposed to like stuff that bands that people recommend to you, and I'm like, oh, no, he's just going to bag on that stuff I left
2: I, I actually have not. you know, can I just tell you this? Here's it makes me a bad Portlander. I've never really heard Dead Moon, and I know that everybody talks about them, and they were big back in the day, and they're sort of one of those... You know, but one of those, the pillars of the past Portland music, I've just, I've never heard them.
6: It's a really good documentary for, like, goes through the Portland music from, like, 60s up to now, because Mm -hmm. that Fred Cole, that he was, uh, like, I guess in Vegas, they labeled him as the white uh, Stevie Wonder, and they... When he was like fourteen years old, well, I got it big. upstairs,
2: so I will be I will be giving it all a listen this week, my friend. Uh, enjoy. Thank all you. Have a good day. All right, there you go. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson show. Seeing Art Carney. Seeing a radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Pretty good,
9: pretty good.
2: Hey, we're coming up with uh, famous Carney. So I got Carney Wilson and Art Carney. That's it. Got anybody
9: else? Uh, Carney Wilson, Art Carney.
2: I got chili con Carney. That's it. There
9: was a there was a Bishop Carney here in New York that there's a bunch of schools named after. I don't know if that counts.
2: Yeah, I think I think those I think those may be the only two famous Carneys on earth. I think that's it. I think we bottomed out. All
9: right. Uh,
2: how was your weekend, sir?
9: Oh, what a letdown Saturday. Oh,
2: that's right. The horse thing didn't. The horse didn't win. I'm sorry. I know I sound like such a rube. Um, it was Big Brown, right?
9: you
2: watch that? Oh, <laughs> oh here's. Here, can I just tell you this? Here's what I know about the horse race, the Triple Crown, the attempted Triple Crown. Big Brown uh, didn't win, and, uh, and uh, apparently did fairly poorly. But here's here's the media's take on it immediately. You can, uh, you can sort of see when things happen, when an incident takes place within about 15 seconds, especially with the internet. You can immediately see everybody take a vote and as and decide how the story is going to be handled what the, what the what the, the high concept is what the one line is like when Howard Dean did that famous scream a few years ago <laughs> right. every everybody immediately said that's it the scream is the thing he's a lunatic that's it we're going to be, he's a nutcase going forward from this moment now um and that was just the party line What I'm all, the thing about the failed triple crown of big brown this weekend is just that the uh, the trainer was just a jerk and had this coming
9: oh, you know the, the thing is they didn't even let him finish because they didn't want him, they didn't want to have the embarrassment of him saying, you know, he finished uh, sixth or fourth or fifth. So th- he just sort of stopped running and he, and he gets, for the record, a DNF, which means did not finish, which actually looks better on paper than, than if he came in like fifth or sixth, except for the fact that it was the Belmont Stakes. A DNF <laughs> on the Belmont Stakes is a big deal.
2: <laughs> you really just sounded like you were from New Jersey right then.
9: Aw, oh, man, no. I, when I get mad, my Brooklyn accent comes right back out. You just, you know, it,
2: it, seriously, four, it's like you ought to be standing in front of a table of discount, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, discount cannolis or something, Go! come
9: on, what's the matter, you? I, I tell you, I want to turn <laughs> Big Brown into a Big Mac. <laughs> I'm so p.o'd at this horse. Four times I've gone to Belmont Park. I saw Smarty Jones, uh, Funny Side, and War Emblem all fail at the Triple Crown. This one was supposed to be a sure bet. The the horse's closest possible competitor was scratched from the race. There was nobody else that could match this horse for ability. What did the jockey say when asked why the horse didn't finish the race, why he pulled up in the final turn? The jockey said, I don't know. The horse just wasn't there. (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know. (laughs) I'm so PO'd. I just want to be there for historic making events so I can say I was there when. So that's, but, you
2: know, that's the thing is it's, it's really, and I understand this, it is really about your desire to see history happen in front of you.
9: Right. You know, I, I, I never, you know, went to Florida when they launched the rockets off and sent men to the moon. I didn't see that. You know, this was my opportunity, and he blew it for <laughs> me.
2: <laughs> Damn him. So here's a dumb question. What happens to a horse that blows it so spectacularly?
9: I hope he got run over on the way out. Wow.
2: Uh, I don't.
9: <laughs> uh, no. I mean, is this. But I mean, does. It...
2: Dumb question. If a horse like this gets all the way to the Triple Crown and then chokes, do they. I mean, does the horse get another chance or the horse put out to pasture? Or?
9: He wasn't injured or anything. He's fine. He was, you know, he was run down. It's a really grueling pace to, to win the Triple Crown. This is why it's so hard. That's, this is why only 11 horses in history have been able to do this, that there are more failed attempts than there are successful ones. Um, he'll he'll run again. He's got another race coming up. He'll be up in Saratoga Springs, and they'll still make millions of dollars off of breeding him.
2: Sounds like the horse did this almost uh, personally, just to thwart you, Steve.
9: <laughs> Me and about ninety thousand other people standing out in ninety six degree, sixty five percent humidity, <laughs> and no air conditioning. How much
2: money do you suppose was lost on this?
9: Oh, I don't even want to fathom. I can't even imagine.
2: Okay, now see, there you go. Is as as is my job here. That's that should be a sidebar for you. Uh, no, make it- you know, make it a four-day story instead of a three-day story. Just try to figure out exactly the amount of money that was lost by betting on that horse.
9: Well, you know, the, the, the thing is, you know, you really don't make any money on that horse if he's if he's such a heavy favored uh, horse uh, uh, because the odds he was going off of four to one, meaning that you know, for every four dollars you bet on him, you would get one back. So the, you know, it was such a short thing that those that's what the odds were.
2: Did the uh, now the horse that won was it a long shot?
9: More or less. I mean, all the horses, with the exception of one that were remaining in the field, were pretty much long shots. Yeah.
2: Well, all right, Steve. Sounds like you had quite a weekend. (laughs) Uh,
9: Ninety-six degrees. No air conditioning. Oh, I did I leave out the fact that? they lost water pressure in the grandstands for a couple of uh, a couple of hours. <laughs> That's wonderful. You, you couldn't flush the toilet. <laughs> That's
2: exactly what you want when it's 96 degrees and 65 percent humidity. Just the stink of sewage everywhere that you can't get rid of.
9: You know, c- can you say on your station? Can you say the four letter word that starts with D and ends with a K?
2: Well, in terms of personality traits, or in terms of a, a section of one's body.
9: Um. Well, there's there's a website called. Uh, D-Blank-Blank-K-Ipedia. Do you know that one?
2: Oh, you mean, uh, are you talking about as if uh, that guy's a real dick?
9: Yes, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I,
9: I think Big Brown should be the next entry in Dickipedia.org. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> done and done, my friend. Is that a self-edited website?
9: Uh, yes, it is. All
2: right, Then I'm sure that as we speak, somebody's doing that right now.
9: Can I put that request into one of your fans? Because I yes. know they'll actually follow through. One of your listeners... We'll write up an entry for Big Brown in Dickapedia.org. All right.
2: <laughs> can, they, can they credit you as being the instigator of this? Can they say, sure. CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, at his behest, do we do this task?
9: Sure, that'd be great. Right.
2: Well, I'm, I'm sorry that things fell apart for you, Steve.
9: I, I, I really just want to see this once before <laughs> I die, just once.
2: How many, and this, here's a dumb question, but I mean, how many times over the last hundred years, how many times has this happened?
9: Uh, I think there were only 11, yeah, only eleven.
2: So you're so, like so you really you're gonna have to wait like a decade.
9: Well, you know what I'm tired of doing interviewing people at the rail and they say, I was here when a firm did it <laughs> or I saw a secretariat now that was a horse. You
2: know? <laughs> Not like these horses today.
9: Uh, yeah, uh, no. oh man.
2: yeah, that's why they make alcohol, my friend.
9: the only the only thing that made me feel a little less bad, was seeing all the dejected Japanese folks around the stable where Casino Charge, a uh, Casino Drives, uh, horse was being stable right. because Casino Drive is owned by a bunch of Japanese folks and he was the closest uh, com- uh, competitor, you know, uh, you know, the most likely to give Big Brown a-, a run for his money and they had to scratch Casino Drive because of an injury. So, know. at least there were some folks feeling worse than
5: you know,
2: now Casino Drive has brought shame on a whole family, Steve. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, my friend. Well, to whatever extent you can, enjoy your day, I suppose. I'll try. All right. We'll catch up with you soon, brother. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. Fantastic. Casino Drive. Casino Drive. wear ribbons of shame. All right. Uh, let's take a break, shall we? We'll come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth next. Uh, let's see. Later on today, we'll talk to Senior Radio Correspondent Amanda Moyer. We'll also the top five songs with which Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up Share the charts. Uh, taser watch, penis watch, all that in the way. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up uh, later on, Cena radio correspondent Amanda Moyer, plus today's top five. Top five songs with which Rick Astley's never going to give you up, share the charts. This, however, is your personal savior.
0: It's time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now,
4: from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. And today's visit is sponsored by Leif's Auto Collision Centers and Leafs.com. Call today. Find out what Leif's can do for you. We have some breaking news for the geek
2: world. Is this an ad hoc geek watch, Tim Riley? I guess it would Here's be a yeah. geek watch of course, for. Uh...
0: This high-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the quantum limit, remember, you used to just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but because we were wondering if the quantum flux. Now so just listen. On the there area. is no quantum flux. There's no
5: auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it.
2: That it does. Fantastic.
4: So just a short time ago, Steve Jobs took the stage at the sold-out Apple conference of over 5,000 attendees, uh, Ethan Einhorn of Sega went on stage to show how quickly the company had developed a sophisticated version of its Super Monkey Ball game. <laughs> that is, controlling by tilting the iPhone, and you can move the rolling monkey balls around the game screen. Uh-huh. That's part of the new iPhone. Now okay. it gets better.
2: You know, by the way, can I just uh, this this again? Sounds like either a compliment cloaked in a criticism, or a criticism cloaked in a compliment, or an enigma wrapped inside a sweater wrapped inside a vest. One of those things. It's that you have to hand it to Apple. Did you say sold out? This is it a sold yes, out event. 5,000 They're selling event. tickets so you can go sit in a room and see Steve Jobs hold up things that you'll be able to buy from him. Yes. yes. I mean, it's like it would be like paying to get the Home Shopping Network. That's really what this is. I'm I'm uh, getting this from live updates. Yeah. On the internet, here's so, live updates from an infomercial.
4: Yes. Uh, so our listener uh, Jennifer Cozy Kitty sent these along, and then he gave a further demonstration of the tank pad platform to blog from the iPhone. More games, including a caveman racing game, virtual musical instruments, piano keys, or guitar strings, and now Steve Jobs announced that Apple will introduce the 3G iPhone. He describes it as even thinner. At the edges, having flesh headphone jacks and improved audio. Uh, before making the announcement, he cited the iPhone's June 29th birthday, saying it was the phone that changed the
5: world. You're not impressed with that.
2: I am. I am. <laughs> I'm, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm making you hate me
4: first thing on Monday. <laughs>
2: That's not true. That's not true, Tim Riley. You know that I have, I don't even want to call it a love-hate relationship with Apple, because I don't, maybe it is that. I just, that I really, I really do love uh, Steve Jobs, and I really do admire him. But at the same time, it's like, Here's the thing. It's like admiring, uh, it's like admiring the guy, you know, who made RC Cola. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I was, I was somewhere the other day, and I got a, like an RC Cola. And you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, that's that's just sugar and water in a glass. That's what that is. It's just it's just sugar that a guy stirred into some water and is selling to me at six thousand percent markup. But at the same time, you got to sort of admire it. That's kind of how I feel about Steve Jobs.
4: Look, there's more. He gave an example of the iPhone web page download that took 21 seconds on 3G and 59 seconds using the current slower edge model. That means the download is 2.8 times faster than the 3G network. Now, the best part of all, Jobs said the 3G iPhone will roll out in a total of 70 countries worldwide in the next few months, 29 nations in Europe. Then he moved to the question of affordability, confirming reports that the iPhone will sell for $199 compared to the original 8G phone for 399 he said the 16GB 3G version would sell for 299 the release date
2: July 11th everybody go stand in line now like tomorrow July Mars. 11th $199 <laughs> i mean what is the last thing has anybody here stood in line to buy anything i mean for, and i don't mean for like 5 minutes I mean, have you ever gone to a place where you knew it was going to be like a long ass wait? And I would say for this, I would say movies don't count,
3: or, or concerts.
2: Probably no, not. I mean, it, when it, well, doing. when did you stand in line? When did you stand in line for a concert?
3: Well, I mean, I've, I've waited in line for movies and for concerts, but I, don't, I guess not for tickets.
2: Yeah, for tickets for a concert, you probably already had them, and probably for movies, you probably already had them. Yeah. Have you ever stood in line? Let me let me put it this way: Has when is the last time anybody here stood in line for the chance to buy something? Didn't even know if you were gonna get it in other words you didn't you hadn't already paid for it. Stood in line for the chance to buy something. Tim? The
4: chance to buy something.
2: Because that's what the Apple is, right? The, the Apple yeah. the iPhone is. You don't even know because when the last time did people stand in line and then they got there and they're oh so sorry. Sold the last one. And there's some guy who, like took four days from work to camp out for a thing he couldn't buy.
4: I did stand the line for Betty Davis' autograph for her last book she up before she died. Is that
2: true? When was that?
4: Wow. It was in the late eighties. How long was the line?
2: Oh, it, it stretched all the way down Hollywood Boulevard. And you know what? And here's the thing. That probably counts for... Because she could have died. Before you got there. I'm standing in line. There was no guarantee she'd be alive by the time you reached the table. Ms. Davis, I, I'm a big fan of the... Hello? And then it's just the stench of... No, it's, it's just the stench of released bladder, Tim.
4: It, it's a stick with a hat holding a cigarette holder. <laughs> that's that's pretty much all that was left of Betty Davis at that point.
2: All there was left is Betty Davis' skin. Uh, so, uh, all right. Uh, I think I, I stood in line... I stood in line to buy uh, the Metallica Black album. I think that was it, though. I don't think I've stood in line for the chance to buy anything since then. But, you know, maybe I'm just forgetting. Maybe I'm blocking something out. So you, But, I mean, that does seem to be a thing that only really happens at this point for consumer electronics, uh, for electronics and video games. And I don't think I've stood in line for a video game either. Uh, so, but, And Steve Jobs really has – he's got it down to a science. I mean, we ought to figure out a way to use some of this Apple marketing uh, for this show in this station because what he does is – he uh, he comes out with the really overpriced version of something, like so disproportionately overpriced and so short, uh, you know, and so, uh, short of supply that you're probably never going to get one. And if you do, you're going to be paying out the ass for it. So then what he does is he reaps all the publicity by having the thing be desired and yet at the same time unavailable. And then once – so um, so he gets all the money from the early adopters right up top where people are willing to pay like – the, the first iPhone came out. People, were like, I will pay $3,000 for the first iPhone that I can – people were selling them online for thousands and thousands of dollars. So he comes out of the gate. He gets all the money from the early adopters who are willing to fork over 799 for the phone. Then he gets all the publicity that comes from the, the news coverage of people waiting in line. And then he puts it out now – and he uses all of that publicity he got from the overpriced, undersupplied launch two years ago to get $199 out of every single other person on the planet who either didn't want to wait in line or couldn't afford the last one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it really, you know, well done, Steve Jobs. It really is, uh, I, can, I can learn a lesson or two from him. Part B, it's about
4: Buffy, not as big
2: as. Uh, oh, really? Nothing's as important as the iPhone
4: that, That's true. Uh, it says here. The blonde heroine of the uh, campy television series, Blondie
2: the Vampire Slayer. What was that? Uh, Blondie the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> well, Dagwood,
10: I'm going to have to <laughs> kill Mr. Ditters.
2: <laughs> Mr. Dinners is a servant of the Antichrist. We're going to have to cut off his head. And then there's like Dagwood making a big sandwich and having to be distracted by the fact he's going to go send fire to Mr. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
4: Exactly. Blondie the Vampire Slayer. As well as other works by creator Josh uh, Whedon. We'll be the focus of a three-day academic uh, conference beginning Friday
2: at uh, Florence. I'm Henderson, so glad you came. Henderson State <laughs> University. Florence Henderson at University. Yeah. I'm so glad you came with the Mr. Mr. Ditters reference there, too, because I couldn't quite come up with the boss's name. I'm here to help. Yeah. Blondie and Dagwood. Dagwood, can I ask you this? What is it with Dagwood's hair?
4: I haven't read that comic in a long
2: time. But you know what his hair looks like. It hasn't yeah. changed. No. Why does his hair, what is that about? Why is Dagwood's hair doing that?
3: What, like the like do the,
2: the what? Like the doo thing? No, no, no. Wait, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that Dagwood has these things that stick out from the side of his head. They look like handles. It looks like Dagwood's head has handlebars. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. He has the, the weird. And I mean, here's another interesting thing about Dagwood. I can spin anything into four or five minutes of blather. Here's another thing. There
10: you can. It's 50. It's impressive, honestly. <laughs>
2: Have you noticed this, that as much as people think it's a sitcom convention that the dumb, ugly guy gets the hot girl, it's not even really a sitcom thing because Blondie totally has that going on. If you read the Blondie comic strip, first of all, I don't mean to revisit the whole Barney Rubble unpleasantness here and how great is this show that we can actually use that phrase. Um, what does Dagwood do? I mean, I know he, he works, works at a at desk, an, uh, uh, office. but do we know what kind of office it is? Do we know what kind of business it is? Insurance? You're just saying that because that's a stereotypical office job. You don't it really is. know. No, I don't. So, uh, but somehow he managed to land this uh, this hot wife. I mean, she really is, you know, you know what Blondie is? You'll forgive the bad punch. She's a bombshell. She really is. Blondie is... Uh, even at her age. <laughs> even at the age of 104. <laughs> and since so oh, she's, she's only hot. two-dimensional and rendered in black and white line drawings. Still hot. Um, so Blondie is really gorgeous. I mean, if, you know, as far as like... A fictitious, badly drawn character goes, uh, and yet Dagwood somehow managed to land her. But I'm glad you said Mr. Ditters, because I was trying to come up with the supplemental pop culture reference, the sort of oop to, to the alley, and then you came up with it. Well done. Um, okay, Buffy oh. the Vampire Slayer. Yes. So what? But her. I don't know. I missed oh, the story I'm gonna somehow. The story.
4: Uh, they're going to have a uh, symposium on her, a three-day conference beginning Friday at Henderson State University. The show that stars uh, Sarah Michelle Geller won cult fame and critical praise during its seven seasons on the WB and UPN. Since the series ended, the, uh, well, it spawned enough academic books on the philosophy surrounding the role of friendship and feminism to fill a 14-foot-wide bookshelf at the College of Arkadelphia. Well, I, I guess this is where, oh, Arkadelphia, Arkansas. It has staying power. Uh, I will tell my students uh, in philosophy a lot of times we're not so much about necessarily finding all the answers as wanting to ask better questions. Puppy, I think, does that. Puppy... uh Never leaves you with uh, nice, pat answers. And these kids are spending thousands of dollars on these degrees.
9: <laughs> would you
2: feel a little gipped? I think? mean,
4: hundred thousand dollars in student loans. <laughs> can you imagine if to you talk want... about Buffy the Vampire?
2: Imagine if you went and hock up to your eyeball to go to college, and you go to there, and the guy goes, "Let's talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer." Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, would you, do you suppose you'd reconsider the whole idea of going to college? In the first, literally, that does further my belief that what can you get in college that you can't just get from listening to this show? Yeah. I'm I'd start charging people retroactively. You know what? Uh, for listening to this program, seriously.
3: I think I've learned more on this show than I did in college.
2: If you're going to pay 50 grand and some jackass is going to sit there and talk about, uh, let's talk about the season four episode um, where Spike and uh, Harmony are looking for the gem of Amara so that you can be invincible and the gem of Amara then is given to Angel in the crossover episode. I mean, the the idea that, I mean, you can buy five cars for what you're going to pay for that. You get that right here for free. There's nothing you – kids, there's nothing you can get in school uh, that you can't learn either out on the street with your hooligan friends or here. Plus,
3: and who really checks references anymore? I mean, I have so many friends who have, like, a well-paying jobs who never went to college who just say that they went to. Is
2: that true? Absolutely. Good for them. Yep. People I know?
3: Mm-hmm. Excellent. You know, yeah, and this person has a very well-paying job. What –
2: um, let's see. What – how do I put it?
3: Yeah, it's kind what of
2: what kind of degree? Like, are they, did they say bachelor's? So like did they a, say B.S.?
3: Yeah, but like a bachelor's degree and um, in like business and oh, I can't businessy specify. things, businessy stuff. Yeah, really.
2: And they just but it's does totally anybody gone. ask to see the diploma? Nope,
3: I don't even know where my diploma is. Honestly, I mean,
2: here's a dumb question. Well, you don't need it here. No, Sarah, we accept <laughs> you as you are. Uh, like,
3: when, if someone wanted proof of my diploma, I, I mean, I can, like, show them drunken pictures of me in college.
4: but that's about it.
2: <laughs> You and your friends crammed into a frame of photograph with margarita glasses. Exactly. Just tell
4: them to go to your
2: space page. <laughs> well, <laughs> should they desire more information? Uh, here's a dumb question. If you're going to the interview with some guy, how do you, and he says, where'd you go to college? And you say, uh, dub." and he says, prove it. How do you prove it? Hey, go, do I don't mean to, des- I'm not trying to sound daft. Okay. How do you show that? I could show my mug from the Coug. I mean that's it, right? I mean like unless you have the diploma, is there some like online yeah, place? Yeah, you could
3: get fake graduation pictures taken as well. Yeah,
2: I mean, well, depending on what the job is. If if you're going to
4: you know go to some laboratory to create an atomic bomb, I'm sure they might check your references.
2: But is there some? But that's the government though. I mean, yeah. like if you're going for a government job, mm-hmm. like you know my wife has a government job, and so the government, you know, they they don't play. They they they, they can they can go online to a database somewhere and find out if you went to college. So, so if, did she get that job before she married you or afterwards? Uh the government job? Yes. Why are you asking? To? No, I'm
4: I'm just wondering.
2: Uh after. Okay. Uh my wife uh well after she was was it before or after we were married? I can't remember now. I think it was right after. We were together but I think that it was after we got married that she got the government job. I you she had to swear a loyalty oath to the president. Seriously. She had to seriously no fool and she had to raise her right hand and she had to swear and boy can I just tell you the pain that caused her. <laughs> just it was like her head was going to burst into flames.
4: This is the biggest lie I've ever she, told.
2: <laughs> exactly. She was having to, she had to raise her hand, and she had to say, I, I, I don't know the actual, I forget the actual word of it, but she had to swear a loyalty oath to President George W. Bush. Ew. And she was just like, with every, she's like, it was so hard not to keep the bile just spraying out of, so spraying out of her mouth, you know. <clears throat> um, but. Uh, and
4: that goes
5: double for Dick Cheney. And I
2: think she had to swear that she would defend the United States against any foreign prince or potentate or whatever, whatever the hell that means. So, yeah, so she had to do that. But but if you apply for a government job, they can look online because they're the government. And they can say, like Kent Mansley can look online and say, well, it seems like you went to college. Well done. But, I mean, if let me ask you this. So if somebody comes to apply for a job here and they say, Rick Emerson, you got to hire me. i got all kinds of college. And I say, really? And me go, yeah, cha, cha, cha. And if you don't believe me, look it up. How do I look it up? If somebody were to sit in my office and tell me they went to college, how could I find out if that's true or not? I mean, I guess I could just call the college, but is the college going to tell me that? Do there are companies that investigate people. Is that true? Yes. I wonder if CBS has any of those companies on retainer. Maybe. We should pick somebody here to investigate. <laughs> oh, I don't want to get my hands through <laughs> with that. Well, somebody we don't like. We like everyone. That's true. We do. I didn't say that. What? Look over there. Uh, all right, so, oh, uh, so here's part three of the Geek Watch. I could really use a Viso. Uh, the, um... Do, should
3: we play some popcorn music? You run and buy one? Well, product
2: placement. well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I bought one. It's in the fridge. I'll do it after we finish this. So, uh, part one was the iPhone, which goes on sale July... Blah, 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 blah. Um, the second thing was that Buffy course. You know, I know this sounds hypocritical because I'm a guy who owns a Battlestar Galactica and philosophy book. Uh, and it, I don't think there's that much philosophy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I hate to be—I hate to sound like a big jerk, because I love Buffy. I really do. Uh, you know, up until season—you know—the end of season five, it's just
4: some people think too hard.
2: I really—I think you're trying. Yeah, they're trying to make too much out of too little there. I—I—I I, I, I think it is a bit of a stretch to have a whole course about the philosophy of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I and mean, it makes me Not a bad geek, but I—I I mean, it's just a—you know. The only philosophy at work at Buffy the Vampire Slayer is say no when the network offers you a two-season extension because it's going to suck. Let's see. We have this. Oh, and don't – and here's the other other bit of philosophy we can learn from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I see you slumping as I start to speak over here, Tim. I don't think I don't notice – The other thing we can learn from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is don't try to fake that Michelle Geller is in an episode, Sarah Michelle Geller, by just having a model with blonde hair have her back to the camera in a club, where Angel then turns and goes, oh, Buffy's right over there, and it's just some ponytail that you see from the back. We see through such lies. Was it a double? It was. was, They just showed somebody. They just got a girl, a blonde girl with a ponytail. Or anybody. (laughs) And they literally, it was like full on Ed Wood, like, cover your face, chiropractor. (laughs) They just, Angel, I think, is in a club. Uh, and they couldn't get Sarah Michelle Gellar to be on the show on Angel, but they wanted to. So literally, they just show some blonde girl from the back and it's a ponytail. They're like, "Look, there's Buffy over there. Look away." And oh, that's this it. is
3: so bad. It's
2: embarrassing for everyone. Um, Could have been Ernest Borgnine with a wigs. So. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah sent me this. Somebody should totally do that. Where it's a cameo appearance that makes no sense. It's like Ernest Borgnine, but you just show him from the back and he's in high heels. Um, the, the Las Vegas Star Trek convention is coming up, kids. Uh, this is, they've just announced the lineup. Sunday, August 6th to 10th, the Las Vegas Hilton Hotel, home of Star Trek The Experience. Who's gone? Star Trek The Experience, anyone? No. Quark's Bar? No, I, I already have too much <gasps> going on.
4: Really?
3: You
2: know? This, really? You
3: gotta you, you feel gonna, like Quark is going this year? You
2: haven't been to the Star Trek Experience at the Hilton? No. Oh, it's righteous. you got, seriously. I'm you, bummed. Oh, is it going to be, uh, will it still be going on in November? No, it's an ongoing thing. It's been there for years. Oh, well, I'll I went there 10 time. years ago. I'll go next time. Yeah, no, it's, I, I'm, it's... I'm going there in November. It is a part of the hotel. If you go to the Las... I went there in... Here's... You know, when the, you know when I went there, actually? I went there on the way from Salt Lake to San Diego when I was moving to California. That's before I even came here. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's at the Las Vegas Hilton. You can go to Quark's Bar, and then there's a whole thing you can do. And Anyway. Um, all right, so we've got here... We've got uh, <laughs> the lineup announced... For the Star Trek convention uh, happening in Los Angeles. Look States.
3: at the third one; that's a pretty big score.
2: John Delancey, Q. Uh, Denise... I would
3: love to see Q.
2: I love that guy, and he was on uh, both Sports Night and The West Wing as and well. And look, Denise Crosby will be there too. Yeah. Mm. Um. Let's see here. Malcolm Mac- Malcolm McDowell. Oh, that's so righteous. I thought you were going to say Malcolm in the Middle.
3: <laughs> and Michael Dorn. Malcolm, oh, man, I almost want to go there.
2: Malcolm, Malcolm, why? <laughs> Malcolm. That, I thought there could be more. I thought there was more Malcolms I could do. Malcolm. No, I got nothing. Uh, yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell. Um...
3: So you get to see Data, Worf.
2: Uh, Wait, I am not see Deanna Data. Troy. Where's Data? I don't see that.
3: He's right that. up
2: there.
3: Right in the top corner. All right. And Leonard Nimoy is going to be there, too. I don't even know where you're looking. Scroll, scroll down.
2: I'm looking here at the lineup for the Star Trek convention. Okay. Oh, oh, he yeah, here pictures? we go! Oh, oh, I'm not looking at the, I'm not looking at the picture no, block. I was just that? looking. look at how
3: crazy that is.
2: All right, so Leonard Nimoy, Scott Bakula, Avery Brooks, yeah,
3: Zachary Quinto too, Brent from Spiner,
2: Joe's. Michael Dorn. Can I just tell you this? Maybe this is weird. I know more girls that have a crush on not Michael Dorn, but Worf. I've known a lot of girls who have some weird sex thing for Worf. It's
3: what does Michael Dorn look like in real life? Uh, you know, he's a beautiful black man. Yeah, he's
2: a, he's a handsome black man. He was on Chips too. Um, Nichelle Nichols, of course. Oh, he is handsome. Yeah. Um, Marina Sirtis. Michael Koenig. Louise Fletcher! Louis, Louise Fletcher. What the hell was Louise Fletcher in Star Trek? Let me guess. Was she was, was she an authoritative nurse? Uh, Louise Fletcher. Louise I... Fletcher. Wow. Um John Landis. Oh, I'm sorry, John De, John Delancey. John Landis. John Landis will be there to kill somebody in a badly timed accident. (laughs) Okay, we're done. There's your geek watch. I'm sorry. That was like an hour. By the sons of I shall avenge you. Next. Anthony's Crosby. Loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. All right, here's Tim Riley. I'm so sorry. That's all right.
4: Guess what? They're going to close down the sealed bridge tomorrow to all vehicles. It's going to be closed on August 25th. Why? They're uh, connecting the max light rail lines to new tracks, whatever that means. Okay. They're never satisfied with these max tracks. Wait, and so what are they
2: connecting to what and why? For what reason? So the train can run on the tracks. But the train... Let me just back up here for a second. Here's the thing. I swear to God, the last time I drove across the steel bridge, I was following a max train. Correct. The train already goes over the steel bridge. Yes. Why
4: do they need to close it? Because they got 576 million dollars to spend but but just, it'll involve only the upper deck of the bridge used by Max and Motor vehicles the lower deck used by Amtrak trains pedestrians and cyclists will remain open Trimet says walking across the bridge to reconnect the max trains but the other side may be as fast as taking one of the shuttle buses but do you see what I
2: mean yeah. the, the max already goes over the bridge it's going to be a better max
4: no one approves are they just
2: taking max tracks out and putting new ones in in the place I don't think so does anybody here know why you they're just, closing?
4: They're connecting it to new tracks. New tracks.
2: Where are the new tracks gonna go, do you suppose?
4: Where the old tracks are. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> My brain hurts. Here's Tim Ryan. Well the old tracks, where does good as the new tracks? I want they're everything.
4: they're improving things. I want everything <laughs> to stop. Yeah, I won't I won't mention it again. I just
2: don't understand. The train already goes over the bridge. How much I mean the tracks either work or they don't. It seems like they already work now. What I don't understand. Well they're they trying to, to improve do.
4: things to make things better for people. Alright, okay. uh. The third-grade teacher who uh, taped the disobedient child to a chair last month will be disciplined but not fired. The type of action was taken against Jill Tomchat. It hasn't been disclosed. Details are confidential. She's placed on leave following the May 28th incident in which a 9-year-old boy was secured to a chair with masking tape after repeatedly refusing to stay seated. Well, it seems reasonable. The boy's unwillingness to sit had been a problem throughout the school year. The boy's mother, Becky Fale, (laughs)
2: <laughs> Becky fail. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Mr. Fale, will you please, Mr. Epic Fail? will you please come up here?
4: <laughs> she says she's uh, satisfied with the decision and will not pursue legal action. We trusted that since Don got to hear all sides, we're doing the right thing. Don is the uh, superintendent, apparently. Fail said her son will stay home for the remaining four days of school, but expects to send him back to the elementary school in the fall, and hopefully this time he'll sit down.
2: Well, Okay. Oh, by the way, somebody notes that I did, and this is true, that I did stand in line multiple times for Harry Potter books. Well spotted. Oh, yeah, that true was recently. Yeah. No, no, that's true. No, I forgot about that. All right, here's Tim Riley.
4: Uh, some Oregon hotels and businesses are hoping to entice you with a break on gas this summer. The Pacific Wreath Hotel in Gold Beach recently began giving guests gas certificates for $10 for a night's stay. $10, really? <laughs> 10 whole dollars? That, that's what, two gallons now? Jesus. Made a little over two
2: gallons? It's like when you were a kid and your mom would give you 50 cents and tell you to go play some video games but bring back the change.
4: Well, this is like something that the tooth fairy would leave. Like ten dollars? Ten dollars. You told <laughs> us recently oh, what happened when you left your
2: wife ten dollars, didn't you, for gas? Oh, no, yeah, no, there was a tongue lashing. Yeah, because I can be, you know, whatever, just put down ten dollars and she, thanks, thanks so much, Dick. Yeah, she was, she was not happy about that. Because they did not even move the needle, as they say. Yeah.
4: Some national hotel chains include Choice Hotels, which operates the local comfort in-suites, and Economo Lodge recently unveiled a gas card promotion to for a number of its reward programs. So apparently you have to stay a number of times before they give you $2 off or something.
2: I could give you $10. Uh, mm-hmm. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
0: Hey. Hey. How are you doing today? What's up? Fine. Uh, not much. So, hey, I was calling to see, are you going to go out and see Storm here in July out at the Gorge Games? Yeah,
2: a bunch of people said that she's going to be at the Gorge, but I didn't hear about that. I don't know what that's for. What is the deal?
0: What's the deal? Well, July 17th through the 20th, the Gorge Games is kicking off, and uh, she's going to be playing Sunday night uh, for the awards ceremony. What,
2: what is there. the Gorge Games? What
0: is the Gorge Games? Well, it's 10 action sports. They have, like, kiteboarding, windsurfing, kayaking. Riverboarding, where these guys like drop off waterfalls head first.
2: Sweet, and then she's gonna be uh, storming the balls. We'll be playing there.
0: Yeah, she's gonna be playing Sunday night.
2: Sunday night, the what?
0: Sunday night, the twentieth. Sunday, July twentieth. All right. Well, I'm sure she. Uh, 8 p.m. She's gonna be dropping by the show at some
2: at some point in the near future. So I'm sure we, we will talk to her about it then. Yeah.
0: Are we gonna get you out? You're gonna come out and hang out and check it out? No. No? Why not? You're not the action sports guy? I'm just
2: just saying it to be difficult. I probably probably will. I just like saying no when people ask me
0: to do things. Oh, why is that? Yes is always better. Okay. Why say no when yes feels so good, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, No, it's kind
2: of the I mean, I I, I can pretend that I'm kind of a, a real, like, action sports kind of a guy, but... I mean, I think everybody would know that was a lie. I mean, and now, is there going to be, a, a, I mean, not the Storm isn't enough to get me somewhere, but is there going to be other sort of musical
0: entertainment? or? Oh, yeah, there's tons of them. There's, like, March 4th, Marching Band, Pepe and the Blondes, Broken Soviet, Speed Queen, Mo Dixon. Like, the list goes on. If you go to, like, gorgegames.net, it explains the whole. It's got the whole set list, who's all coming out. And in addition, Are you like,
2: in the employee of Gorge Games? Sir? Oh,
0: no, I'm just an advocate.
2: Doesn't Gorge Games sound like an eating competition? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh,
0: no, that's, uh, yeah, sounds like it, right? All
2: right, well, thank you for the tip, my friend. When uh, Storm comes on, we'll uh, drill her for information about that.
0: Right on, sounds good. Thank thanks. you. All right, there you go.
2: Boy, that guy was a real voice number one.
0: Mm-hmm. He really
2: was voice number one. Dude, thanks. You know what it is? You know what that guy? That guy, is the he's the dude in the commercial with the knit cap climbing the top of a mud hill to get some Mountain Dew. That's what that guy was. All right. Uh, should we take a break here in a moment? Yeah. I are on The Rick Emerson Show. Greetings from Kennewick South, better known as
6: Salem.
9: Hello, sir. Hey,
6: um, you were talking about standing in line, and I'm 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 part of the uh, older demographic, I guess, that listen to your show. But you know, back in the good old days when we actually had festival seating to sit uh, for concerts, you know, you'd stand in line in the bake- baking sun for 13 hours as the Ozzy, and you know, you'd be passing around these big one gallon milk jugs full of purple stuff that you really Ugh. you really didn't know what was in. You you didn't want to not be a participant. But you know, those days are gone, sadly. You know, and this is internet, was this a thing that, that you things.
2: that you already had tickets, but there was no guaranteed seating.
6: Well, and yeah, but then also you had to stand in line for the tickets because you know, way back in the old days. Oh, there was no
2: no internet. internet. Yeah, yeah, no, that's you, true.
6: You had to actually stand in front of like G I Joes for a day and a half, and you may or may not get one of the bracelets. To get uh, the lottery, to be able to get the tickets to begin with. Yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of um, you know. remember back, God, what was it, eighty or eighty-one, when I'd kill to see the Who. You know, when everybody got stomped.
1: <laughs> I'd walk
2: over you to see the, see uh, the Who.
9: Yeah. Exactly.
2: No, there yeah. was a the, after the great trampling of eighty-one, that festival seating was sort of gotten uh, gotten rid of in many places. Yes.
9: Yeah, you know, and that, was, that was
6: that was that was fun. I mean, that was intent by all, especially if you were with a bunch of your. Uh, especially if
2: you weren't one, one of the people fun. being killed by it.
6: Well yeah, if you're all six foot six and three hundred pounds, it was a good time.
2: Alright. Thank you, my friend. Alright. Alright, there you go. Uh okay. We should take a break here. Come back after this. Tim, do we have more news around the corner? Yes, it never ends. Excellent. Uh all right, Tim Riley coming up later on. We'll talk to Cena radio correspondent Amanda Moyer. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Do what you make fire. And
7: now, baby, oh I'm alive. Oh, yeah.
2: to uh, why hello it's the Rick Emerson radio program on AM 970. Uh, so I went to Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing this past uh, Saturday. So our thanks to Dan, Paul, and Renee out there as well as uh, Susan Reynolds who stopped by and the street team who were there. Um, and a bunch of listeners was there, were there as well. It was a Worldwide Dungeons and Dragons uh, Day. And then they were celebrating the release of the fourth edition of the D&D book and blah, blah, blah. So. Um, it was great, though. I mean, it was just... And, you know, I say this with love. It was just, just dorkville. I mean, just in the best possible way. Do you know what I mean? It's like when I went to the... It's the last uh, Harry Potter book. I went to... In fact, the last... I think the last three Harry Potter book releases, I went to Powell's. And I think the two before that, for some reason, I was in Kennewick. I don't know. It was all very... Anyway. Um, but just, like, in the best possible way, just, like, just Goonville. And... uh it was just, it, it, and so Susan and I are sort of there, and we got there kind of early, and we're kind of hanging out, and saying, like, well, I, w- I wonder when the D&D thing's going to happen. And then you just sort of see these guys starting to, guys and girls, sort of filtering in from the various entrances, and of course it's June, uh, you know, it's the middle, it's the middle or the at least the early part of the summer, and they're all wearing, like, like floor-length black cloaks. <laughs> like, you know, and it's like a, it's like a shirt with like an airbrushing of like a wolf standing outside. And then they've got like a necklace that's a pewter dragon claw clutching a small crystal ball. Uh, and many of them were like
3: multicolored glass, like sunglasses, like totally. dark red or green. And occasionally green.
2: wearing a lot of the gamers, they'll wear like the Australian Outbacky type hat. Uh, a lot of those dudes. It was really great. And so they uh, and one of our listeners was there and he won a large, I believe he it was actually called a gargantuan purple dragon. Uh, so he won that, and it was it was a good time. And then they did this thing right at the end where once the books had gone on sale, and they did the giveaway and the whatever, they were letting people who hadn't played, because I think the fourth edition D&D book that just came out, that was the, the day it was released, and so a lot of people hadn't played it yet. And so the deal was you could sort of get your first taste of the revised rules of Dungeons & Dragons, which I guess involve a lot of rule modifi I can't believe I'm talking about this as much. It involved a lot of rule modifications to make it more like Magic the Gathering, sort of streamline it. Anyway... So they had a bunch of tables going where they had these small sort of 45-minute Dungeons and Dragons games so people could, you know, with a Powell's Dungeon Master could sort of, you know, try out the game and sort of see what was different about it. And I don't really play D&D. I mean, I don't play D&D. But what was fascinating was just to sort of stand there and just listen to the games happen. I mean, it really is. It is just fantastic. It's just a glorious, beautiful, nerdy thing. It's just it's wonderful. And uh, the, as heard on the Rick Emerson show, Table of Powell's, uh, I mean, uh, those guys really, we got to give it to them. They really listen uh, carefully out there. We mentioned something. I hate to say this because this makes us sound like we're egomaniacal, but we really have to be careful of our power here because everything we mention, even in passing, as a book, gets put on that table. Uh, so when, when you start, like, really giving the hard sell on something, make sure it's something you want other people to read because every book we mention uh, just even it, it casually sort of gets, they get ten copies of it and they put it right out there on that table. So in any event. Uh, but this coming Friday, Salman Rushdie. What time? Friday the 13th, Tim. Salman Rushdie. What could go wrong? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Probably, uh, I would presume, in the afternoon. But you got to go. I would go if I was going to be in town. So how many times in your life do you get to meet the world's most wanted author, Tim? Never. All right. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So let's talk about Hillary Clinton because,
4: well, what I could be hearing about it much longer, or well, for a while, uh, hi- uh, Hillary quit. Well, kind of, over the weekend. Well, she did.
10: Well. This isn't exactly the party I planned, but I sure like the company.
7: That's very sad.
4: Uh, She and Barack Obama began on different paths, and now they are joining forces together.
10: Today, our paths have merged, and we're all heading toward the same destination, united and more ready than ever to win in November and to turn our country around because so much is at stake.
2: You know, she's. I think she's kind of doing a smart thing, though, by just talking as though she is the presumptive vice presidential candidate. I mean, it's, you know, I, I've said it many times, I'll say it again, the perception really does create reality. And I wonder if just by constantly saying, like, it's got to be me. Of course it's me. How could it not be me? It's it's me. It's all me. Totally me. No one but me. I wonder if, if it just puts so much pressure on him that he just, if she just keeps talking that it's a foregone conclusion, he might just have to do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's that poll that what 54 percent of voting Democrats want her mm-hmm. uh, as the vice president. I mean, she comes with and she brings to the table a lot of a lot of votes, a lot of money, uh, a lot of political expertise.
4: Especially to really crack the whip and
2: straighten out the health care situation. Absolutely. Well, worse so than anyone. I mean, don't screw it up twice. Oh, <laughs> only, yeah, and here's the other: for people that don't think Hillary Clinton and you know, you're not going to disappear. No, I mean, and for people who don't think Hillary Clinton can somehow get the health care thing done because she didn't get it done last time, I would say this: Hillary Clinton. I would guess all. I would guess anybody with the last name Clinton, I think they really are score settlers. I think Hillary Clinton keeps a long list of people who have wronged her mm-hmm. uh, and people against whom she must bring unholy vengeance. And I think probably everybody that stood in the way of her health care reform last time is on that list. Yes. I mean, can you imagine? And that was, I mean, she was the first lady. Can you imagine if Hillary Clinton actually was the vice president? I mean, one heartbeat away from the presidency, exactly uh, how much she could ram through. I, I just, I, I really, I, I do wonder... I think it all just comes down to whether the Democrats want to win. I mean, that's the thing. And no one loves losing like a Democrat. Democrats love failure. So... But I, I think the people behind her were part of the old losing Democrats.
4: There, there are two different Democratic parties. The new one, which we know nothing about, Obama's side of the Democrats, and her Democrats, you know, the fussing and fighting people be, behind the scenes, and uh, Bill Clinton, who really ruined her campaign. <laughs> it, I mean... I wonder, and somebody was saying the other day that uh, the, the, the... I mean, Mark Pan and all those people and Paul McGallan, you know, th- that whole tribe of people who just
2: push you right down the train this time. I wonder how much uh, I wonder how much of the old party machinery at this point is really needed uh, to win. Because, you know, the interesting thing about Barack Obama is, is that every year they say this, they, every four years they go, well... The, the fact that the 20-somethings might actually vote and then
4: they in never the general do. election. Right, and but, that, it, but, it but that
5: could
2: change things because they voted in the primary. That is, that's what makes Barack Obama yeah. so amazing is because remember with Kerry, they said, well, with John Kerry, uh, you're going to... I guess I'm trying to do John Kerry's voice there for some reason, but uh, the real it, one's obnoxious enough. The young people are going to come out and vote because blah, 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 blah. And then the young people never took the young people just stayed at home and got high. It's what they always do. And then with uh, Howard Dean, it was the same thing. The young people are going to support Howard Dean. And the young people were just at home having sex and helping paint thinner. Uh, this year, though, it's like they said it over and over and over again. And they finally managed to conjure it into reality where young people actually voted, it, which is pretty amazing, actually. I mean, that's, that's kind of what led to his victory. So it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if they can sort of make the oil and water mix there. Hillary tells her supporters to start
4: campaigning for Obama. I
10: ask all of you to join me in working as hard for Barack Obama as you have for me.
4: She graciously, uh, graciously uh, praised Obama.
10: I've had a front row seat to his candidacy and I have seen his strength and determination, his grace and his grit. In his own life, Barack Obama has lived the American dream. So put all your differences aside and vote for Obama, says Hillary The Democratic Party is a family and now it's time to restore the ties that bind us together and to come together around the ideals we share, the values we cherish and the country we love.
4: And now Hillary talks about being a lady and reminds women how close she came to breaking through the glass ceiling.
10: Although we weren't able to shatter that highest, hardest glass ceiling this time, thanks to you, it's got about 18 million tracks in it.
2: That's pretty great. That's a good line. Her
4: campaign shows a woman will become president of the United States someday.
10: Children today will grow up taking for granted that an African-American or a woman can't become the president of the United States. When that day arrives and a woman takes the oath of office as our president, we will all stand taller.
4: And uh, she notes that she and Obama made major strides in America's future.
10: together. Obama and I achieved milestones, essential to our progress as a nation, part of our perpetual duty to form a more perfect union.
2: You know, I was thinking about to carry the Star Trek discussion even further. You know what John McCain is? John McCain really is like Ensign Smith. I mean, he's the redshirt uh, who's just going to get sent down to the tentacle acid planet. I spent the
4: weekend looking for, the, for that uh, s- that fake smile. Press yeah. conference the I zombie guess. smile
2: can't find it anywhere, can you? With that planned studio audience, like it that yeah. like kid's cartoon show? Yeah. Now, everywhere I looked for that, it was gone. Uh, so maybe it's around there somewhere. But he – you just get the feeling that that, that guy – I mean, it's it's got to suck to be in the GOP this year. I mean, if you're a Republican, you'd have to be sitting around going, Good Christ, that's the best we can do. Uh, this really is – I would say for me, just my read on it, is that this year in the GOP is like it was being a Democrat in 2004. Yeah where just looking at John Kerry, looking at this tree-beard-looking bastard, saying to yourself, like, come on, this? We're supposed to win with this? They have the worst bumper stickers. Who?
4: Uh, Kerry and... Oh, uh, God, and
2: you still see them around. There's
4: one on my locker in there, and I didn't put it on there. I can't remove it.
2: Really? You, you should, should take it off. I, I can't figure it out. I, I've tried. It's just stuck on there for life. You know, here's an interesting thing about radio stations. Are there razor blades around these radio stations anymore? No, there, there's nothing to cut. I mean, you know, what's, you know what Joe Castavani has in his production room here? He has a splicing block, oh. but no razor blade. Hmm. You remember splicing blocks? And this isn't like nineteen eighty nine dollars. They were like forty five bucks. Yeah. I mean, what the hell was that about? I used to teach us splicing way back. When. Really, you had to teach splicing at
4: at the Learning Tree in California.
2: Now, were you more of the uh, uh were you were you more of the angled cut? Yes, I'm the angled cut. The angled we'll cut. Say, Good okay. For you.
4: The angled cut is fine for all speeds if you use the straight cut. Yeah. Make sure your speed is at fifteen. Yeah, because otherwise, bam. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and you'll hear, those little- you hear the pop, and then occasionally it'll stretch. Nobody knows what we're talking about. Nah, but that's fine. You know what, Tim? This is a little inside the wheelhouse discussion here. Um, what was I saying? Blah da, da blah. Star Trek. Yeah. So I mean, if you had to, like what? Do you ever want to stop those people that have the like, the John Kerry, the Kerry Edwards bumper stickers, and just say, look, look, take it off. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if for if for your children's sake, if nothing else, I mean, just for your own self-image, get that thing off your car. It looks wimpy. It does. I mean. That was really a low point in the Democratic Party, I think, the Kerry Edwards ticket. I mean, that was just just a sad, empty time for everybody there. Yes. Uh, who is this? Hello, uh, sir Adam, madam, is the case. Maybe you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't disappoint your countrymen. Rick, how could
1: I possibly disappoint my countrymen?
2: Uh, is this Chris Sneathan? Maybe. Hello, Chris Sneathan. How are you?
1: I am fantastic. How are you? Uh,
2: I am fantabulous. How's uh, how's life? How are things? Are you calling oh. to gloat some more? Are you calling to mock? Great.
1: I'm not, well, I'm calling to... Figure out what the heck you're talking about with Hillary being the presumptive vice presidential nominee. I'm How just... did it work out when she was the presumptive presidential nominee in the Democrats' <laughs> No, I mean, this is a conversation you and I were having a, a year ago. Democrats want to win. It's going to be Hillarys or nobody. And now you're saying this is the same thing about about the vice president thing. I don't get it.
2: That's a, that is a pretty good line you just have, by the way, so well done on that. Thank you. I don't know maybe it'll you know maybe it'll work maybe maybe it won't but I will I, I will say this that of any strategy that she could pick at this point probably the just acting as though it has to be her is probably the closest thing she has to a winning tack at this point.
1: But it's the same thing that she's been doing for a year and her problem is that she won't she hasn't changed the tack at all on on anything. She's run she ran the same campaign at the end that she was running a year ago where it was all about experience and it was all about, hey, I've been there and done that, and it didn't work. And she had innumerable times to to change her message or or change whatever, and she never has.
2: I like the idea, though, that with just looking at it from sort of a gut-sense point of view, I like looking at at Barack and Hillary though, and just seeing them as just a quintessential good and bad cops. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Just it's sort of like sort of like Bush and Cheney. How you can see Barack being the guy who just smiles and kind of chucks you on the shoulder, and then Hillary takes you out back and just oh, eviscerates absolutely. you. The
1: the reason though that she will not be vice president is one, he, I don't think he thinks he can control her, and two, he sure as heck can't control Bill. No, no, that is there. They are. He's gonna. She will have a role, but he's gonna put a nine foot high cyclone fence around her and make sure that that she can't do or say anything that that remotely goes
2: off of message. You know, if you had Hillary Clinton as your vice president, wouldn't you just be checking the brake lines on your car every single day? Oh, absolutely. Let me just, you know what it is? Hillary Hillary Clinton would be, uh, she would be the Elizabeth Berkeley uh, to Barack Obama's showgirls uh, Gina Gershon, just waiting to get kicked down the stairs so somebody else can take the gig. Yep. Duly noted, my friend, and well-observed. Absolutely. All right, Chris Neathen from OnTheVig.com. Thank you, my friend. She may go. become a powerful senator, Ella Ted Kennedy. Maybe. One of those. I I do like the idea that she could just be the backroom bare-knuckle breaking your legs to get the confession, uh, you know. But, and but, she'll do it. But I suppose that he he does have a good point, though, in that that would, I guess, work out poorly if you were Barack Obama. Because you would just... As Maybe some, if she's not allowed in the White House. <laughs> if she can be the president, but only from a fortified bunker, she can't leave. You're listening to KCMD Portland. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Amuse us. Yeah, uh, I
6: have a two-pound splicing block in my hand from 1979 that was acquired the only acceptable way possible. By you stole
2: Seth it Vegas. from a dead man?
6: No, I stole it from the station I worked at. Good for you. Yep. It weighs about two pounds, and it's beautiful.
2: Now, why did you steal the splicing block? Were you doing a lot of home splicing work?
6: Yeah. Well, the station was going out of business, so wow. it sold about everything, including the data thing from the back of the transmitter and a whole bunch of other stuff. Excellent, it was really cool.
2: You know those those splicing blocks. Uh, they were that was I'm, when I would when I was first getting into radio. That was one of the things. Like you bought a pair of headphones and a splicing block. And a coffee cup, and it's like you were set. That was that was all you needed at that point. You were done.
6: And then you could eat bacon. It is because true because it was the only thing that wasn't sticky or gooey that wouldn't you could eat and
2: keep your fatty, keep your lipids off the tape. Thank you, sir. There you go. There's that, that guy Tom
5: with the splicing block. Well done. Here's
4: Tim Riley. Uh, Hillary reminds us all that she's a woman, and there's still a bias against women, and hopes to change that in the future.
10: I know there are still barriers and biases out there, often unconscious and i want to build an america that respects and embraces the potential of every last one of us
2: maybe they'll just never tell her uh you know that he's not going to pick her maybe she'll just sort of sort of sit there like in that hall just sort of speaking to everybody until the end of time sort of like that episode of star trek the next generation where Marty, moriarty gets put back in that cube and then he just uh Whatever that episode is. I think they're not going to mention it for a week and hope everybody forgets about it. They're just they of, bring it up again. They're just going to let her sort of have a speech and then never address her again and hope that she just is sort of shunted to the side. Uh-huh. Uh Rick, Uh, what is voice number one? He says, you have all these radio terms that mere mortals do not know or understand. Please, to say. Uh, radio Voice number one isn't really a radio term. That's just a thing we started saying here. That we've noted that uh, of most of the people who call, most of the men anyway, who call this show, guys who call this show always have... One of two speaking styles. That guy who just called, by the way, was voice number two. Um, they it, typically guys who call the show either sound they either sound like they're about twenty three years old, kind of sharp, little, and I and I don't mean this isn't you know they kind of have that that sharp the sharp kind of snot nosed tone to the voice, kind of you know like the the like, the like the like the sort of like the edgy troublemaking kind of smart alecky guy. Not unlike myself, I at one point probably sounded a lot like voice number one, and then there's voice number two which is that guy and voice number 2 always sounds a little older, a little slower, voice worn in like a voice worn in like a piece of soft leather, little drunk. That's it. Voice number 2. So that guy voice number 2, um, guy that called earlier uh, about the extreme games or whatever they were in the gorge, that guy was voice number 1.
4: Here's Tim Riley. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints celebrated a milestone yesterday, the 30th anniversary of Black men being allowed to hold the priesthood. President Spencer W. Kimball received the revelation in 1978 and reversed a 130-year-old ban. Last night, a fireside chat was held at the tabernacle with featured speakers in a multicultural choir. The evening was marred by protesters. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be pro... Well, I don't well, I don't even know what they were protesting. Somebody spoke with a Bill McKeever of the organization McKeever. Seed of Cain. Let's see
6: what if that's there's going, going to, to be forgiveness, we're calling on the church that they really should repent. The church wants their people to repent whenever they sin. Well, if they've been teaching nothing but folklore and punishing people for that folklore, then the leadership needs to own up to that as an institution and
4: apologize as well. And this happened last night. So Whatever. somebody had nothing to do on a Sunday night.
2: <laughs> somebody's, somebody's life was rather empty. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, it is the Mormon Church is just is just full of full of weirdness and strangeness and just chicanery. But I mean, get them line. I mean, in what in that way, it is really only the latest in a long, long line of such organizations. Here's Tim Riley.
4: There we have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell warning about the plan to tax oil companies he says it'll drive the gas prices up even more.
5: We're going to have a vote tomorrow on yet another proposal that they have, which would raise taxes on uh, gas that would drive the price up again. I mean, how in the world they think the American economy can sustain even greater costs at the pump is beyond me. His name
2: was Speckles, and he was a good dog.
4: It's a bad idea to try to punish the oil companies.
5: I'm not here to defend the oil companies, but they are the people who oh. produce the oil. And if you raise the cost of doing business, <laughs> it'll be passed on to the to the
2: the and then he would shake my hand. I'm sorry, does anybody even know what I'm doing there? Paul Harvey. No,
4: no I'm doing...
2: You're like Mr. Ed. I'm do- <laughs> it's either Paul <laughs> Harvey or Mr. Ed. <laughs> this is why I don't do voices. This is why I don't try to do voice work, because then I wasn't doing either of those. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. His name was Speckles, and he was nice. Anybody know Paul what I'm Harvey. doing? Paul Harvey. No. Mr. Ed, you can't just keep saying the same answers. Well, you sound like He's the, the same th- person.
3: What about the guy from the old-time lemonade commercial? Is that who? Oh,
2: know. the uh, Country Time Lemonade. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Pepperidge Farm man. No, see, yes, but they're Pepperidge two different. No, but see, you're talking. They're two different people, and they're not the same guy. You're Your really th- miserably. I can. You shut up. Um, <laughs> you're a jerk. Well, I'm, I'm just taking the, guesses that no, are incorrect. The Pepperidge Farm guy is different. I can kind of do that one. That's what the uh, Pepperidge Farm remembers. That sounds That's just like that last one. That guy. No, it doesn't. It's different. But my Pepperidge Farm remembers voice is exactly the same as when I imitate Patrick, uh, Patrick Rochelle doing... Um, Newsman Tim Riley arrives for the night's big events. That doesn't sound anything like the Pepperidge Farm guy. No? Well, but... Th- Anyway, the Country Time Lemonade guy is different. The Country Time Lemonade guy sounds a lot like this. Summer is here, and that means fishing holes and swimming, neutering the dog. Or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, what, he just lists a bunch of things that Summer apparently means.
3: Right, well, pleased to be telling us what summer your are Summer means roller skating
2: down at the rink and trying to get to third base. Uh, and Country Time Lemonade. Uh, so that's that guy. The voice I was doing just now. Now that we're so completely off point as to just be indescribable. I was doing old Jimmy Stewart when he would go on the tonight show and read just those long rambling poems about his dog. Oh yeah, okay. See? There you go. Well, I knew who it is after you described it. I go the voice doesn't really work if I have to you, describe it.
3: You were constantly trying to do Jimmy Stewart for
2: years you've been trying to perfect your I Jimmy can't shirt. really do it either. I can only kind Did of do it. The... I can only do that one. Uh, but Jimmy Stewart, when he was like a thousand years old, he used to go on The Tonight Show and he would take out these... It was kind of great and sad. He looked like he looked like a crazy incontinent guy from your neighborhood. But because he was a celebrity, like I think anybody else like that would have been locked up. But because he was a celebrity, they thought it was charming. Mm-hmm. So he'd come on the show and he would take out these like folded up pieces of paper that had been folded up into like 16, you know, like tiny... Well, Johnny, I'm here to read a poem about my dog, Mitzi. <laughs> Mitzi has a glossy coat. Mitzi likes to eat some oats. And then he, no. would, but he would just go on. Tim remembers. Yes. And he would just go on and on. Oh, got to find and others. then it always ended with the dog dying. It always ended with, and then one day I had a frown. We had to go put Mitzi down. That is horrible. And then he would fold it up and everybody would, like, everybody would cheer. And then that was it. I mean, and that's, you know, I'm sorry. When, so when Jimmy Stewart died, I really wanted like Dana Carvey or somebody to show up at the funeral and like. And then one day Jimmy no. Stewart died, and you know read a poem. Did
3: you hear about, about the uh, speaking of Jimmy Stewart? Did you hear about the one of the actors from *The Wonderful
4: Life* dying? Uh, no, yeah, the, the guy that played the younger version. Yeah. here's Jimmy Stewart. Here we go. Uh,
2: the, the title of it
0: is, is "Bow." That's that's the name of the dog. He never came to me when I would call unless I had a tennis ball. Or he felt like. Am I lying?
4: You (laughs) You heard. (laughs) Spot on. You could be Jimmy Stewart.
0: Mostly, he didn't come at all. (laughs) When, When he was young, he never learned to heal or sit or stay. He did things his way. Discipline. ...was not his bag. How long was this clip? When you were with him... Four minutes. ...he sure didn't drag. He'd dig up a rose bush just to spite me, and when I'd grab him, he'd turn and bite me. He bit lots of folks from day to day. The the delivery boy was his favorite prey. The gas man wouldn't read our meter. He said we owned a real
2: man-eater. This go, and it just goes on endlessly. I mean it's four minutes of that. Yes. Uh I love Jimmy Stewart, don't get me wrong. But I mean that was every time he came out to the night show, he would read some like From the Shores of Gitchy like, like endless.
3: Oh my god, I had to learn that that yeah. when I was younger. I mean and he would, he would the shores just, of Hiawatha. Yeah,
2: and he would just go on and on and on and then the dog died. And that was it. There you go. Oh you know, over so that was what I was trying to do just now. Wait, why was I even doing that voice? I don't know. Tim, Tim played some sound. Oh, you had a soundbite sound from some guy that sounded like that to me. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tim. That's okay. Let's Take move on. Take as much time as you no, need. No, no, no. I'm done. All right. What were we doing? I don't know, Tim. You're the newsman.
4: <laughs> well, had I known this, you could have brought this up as a talking point to our Washington, D.C. correspondent. The heat index is well over 100 degrees in Washington, D.C. again today. Everybody's trying their best to beat the heat. Well, D.C. resident Suzette Palmer says she's trying to beat the heat the old-fashioned way by eating ice cream.
11: It's really good. It's cappuccino. So I'm beating the heat, and I'm beating my tiredness at the
2: same time. That sounds like a perverse poem that, like, takes a wrong turn at the last one. (laughs) I'm beating the heat, and I'm beating my tiredness. (laughs) All
4: right. Go ahead, Tim. No, I I have nothing more. I, I have nothing, nothing more to say. Acting on tips from neighbors, police raided a Longview home and found pot and lots of it. They seized more than 300 plants plus 40 pounds of harvested marijuana. They did not immediately arrest anyone because nobody was home. Uh, police warriors were for stealing electricity. They're electricity thieves, apparently in Longview. That search quickly widened when the plants. Well, they found out that they used lots of expensive electricity. And, of course, it was easy to see. Please call it a million-dollar operation, possibly the biggest one Longview has ever seen. Officers are first alerted to the house by neighbors who reported suspicious activity and... a strong odor of marijuana.
2: Here's my thing. If I decided to become a drug dealer, which I will not because, of course, it's illegal...
4: You'll be... You,
2: I mean, you'd be arrested on the first day. <laughs> are you saying I lack the organizational skills to deal narcotics, Tim? Yes.
4: Some people are meant to do that. You are not.
2: Uh, well, that's probably true. And I think... In some small way, because what we always say with criminals is that criminals are sort of motivated and even smart sometimes, but they they lack the gene for self-preservation. They lack intelligence, mm-hmm. and so criminals have a lot of motivation, a lot of get-up-and-go, but they can never really tell when they shouldn't be doing something. That's, I think, what has kept me from becoming a drug dealer, Tim. In addition to the fact that it's illegal, is that I think I realize that I would do poorly at that. Yeah. I, I mean, you do have location, location going for you. <laughs> that is true. I have nice retail front property, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, but were I to become a drug dealer, which I would not because it's illegal and also I'd be bad at it. I mean, if you have a big acre of pot, I mean, that's not like a slap on the wrist. I mean, that's like they, uh, they stick you right in the who's cow for that. Yeah. An acre of pot. That's like a real, that's intended, whatever harvest and sell or whatever to distribute. So that's, I mean, they're going to put you in jail for like 40 years. So it seems to me. That if one is going to pick a drug to sell, just theoretically speaking, speaking as a journalist, uh, rather than selling pot, which takes up like a whole acre for which you could get 40 years, you just sell heroin, which you could also get 40 years for, but which takes up a very, very small space and is easier to hide. You know what I mean? Does heroin grow somewhere? No, I think you just buy it. Where does it come from? I I mean, originally. I don't know. A heroin tree?
3: I think it comes from a moral standpoint, too, because I know people in the past who have been drug dealers and like... A lot of people feel like people who do drugs. They feel like marijuana isn't really a drug. Right. You know, they feel like it's kind of natural because, like, like, there's different people. They're they're like pot dealers and then there are drug dealers. Right. And I think they feel like it's different things. So maybe that person, and maybe to them, it didn't seem like they were drug dealing. Well, that's true. Like maybe a moral state maybe think some think.
2: people draw a line within themselves mm. about that. Uh, so I just yeah I don't know. I think you. uh I think if you're dealing heroin, I think you know a guy who knows a guy or something. It's like a, I think it's like Amway. Like uh, networking. Yeah, it's like Amway, but with guns. Um. But uh, but it just seems like it takes up a much. That's a thing you could do out of your basement. Marijuana dealing, I think you need a whole uh, you know farm for that. I don't know. That's, maybe not. I'm lame. Hi, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson show. We'll talk to a SENA Radio correspondent Amanda Moyer here. Just a few about gas prices because they're high. Uh, hello, hi.
5: Good day, Rick Emerson. Uh, this is Jeff. I'm on the 212 right now.
2: Your voice number one. Uh, thank you. All right.
5: Um, I'm calling today for people to perhaps reflect on the Saturday Night Live episode with um, Jan Hooks and Phil Hartman, where Phil Hartman played Barbara Bush and Jan Hooks played Nancy Reagan, and she wouldn't get out of the Oval Office. I
2: do remember that. That was great. That
5: was fantastic. She just keeps sitting there, and and uh Phil Hartman's like, okay, well, we'll be seeing you. And she's like, I'm not leaving. And Jan Hooks
2: is like the house guest who won't leave, but she won't get out of the White yeah. House.
5: Exactly that. Uh. Exactly. That's that's fantastic. There. You know what?
2: You know who I saw today being interviewed was uh, what's her name, First Lady Bush, the Laura, Laura Bush. Oh, okay. And but see, but the whole thing, I couldn't come up with it. It's and I just realized, like, boy, she is just. It seems like both she doesn't it when you picture George Bush or his wife now. Don't they seem, in your head, even physically small? Yeah. I mean, they just seem to have diminished. They seem to be utterly and totally unimportant people at she this said point. She's never
4: really done anything anyway.
2: No, except... Well,
4: for, no, except I that. she's an inanimate
5: <laughs> object. I think they did the same, uh, the same puppet master like they did on Reagan there in the final years to uh, Laura Bush. She just, like... It's a rubber mask. You never see her do anything. Now she was
4: a librarian who cared about teaching children to read. Apparently.
2: Uh, and you know, it's always teaching children to read. I think yeah. Barbara Bush did the same thing. They, they she all was do that. Teaching yeah. people to read and running front mom's friendly robot company. Um, so let me just say this though about about I was thinking about George W. Bush and Laura Bush this morning, and I was thinking about it's a well-established dynamic. I think that if you know if if a, if a if a, if a, go, a man has a you know sort of a powerful influential career, that women sort of find that attractive, and a lot of times rightly or wrongly, a woman's level of attraction to uh, to her man is sort of based in some way a lot of times on his success, and if he's successful in his career, and if he's sort of a power broker, and, you know, and I was thinking I wonder how that works if you're married to George W. Bush because on the one hand, like he is the President of the United States, he is, he is you know, he has the highest office in the land, maybe in the world, and yet you know, on the other hand, he's George W. Bush, and he has an approval rating of like one, and he has... All right. Well, we'll go. Thank you. And he has like the worst, the worst war executing skills uh, on earth. Has a terrible economic record. Ran a series of failed businesses. So I wonder if it's just a wash. And then if you have to fall back on just physical attraction with that guy, which seems to be really negligible, I would think. Well, they always find something
4: new for him to do. Where everything he fails at. So I don't <laughs> know what's
2: next. They they scatter a series of brightly colored stones around the office. And they go, go get him. Here's Tim Riley.
4: Candace Jackson is none too happy about the way her label is promoting her latest CD, Discipline. That's it. Blame the label. She took part in a teleconference where where she addressed her problems with the Island Def Jam label. She said, quote, they just stopped all
2: promotions whatsoever on the album, and because of that, I don't think we're going to hear another single from the album. You know, they always blame promotion. Always, always. They always, not that record labels are good people, but they always blame lack of promotion from the record company for this when your album stiffs. Always.
4: So apparently the uh, tune Feedback was only one of three to make the Billboard Hot 100. She recently announced she'll begin touring North America beginning in September, marking her first road trip in nearly seven years. Was it crap? Was the single crap? I don't know. I don't remember hearing it. So yeah. did you hear it.
3: Didn't we play it? No, that was Mariah Carey we played. I don't know. Or too. I'm what? out of touch with the kids. I don't know. Me
2: too. Well, but Janet Jackson's not the kids. I think I should be following that. Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know anybody who follows Janet Jackson. Yeah, me either.
2: Maybe that's why. Would we go see Janet Jackson if she came to town? No. If the tickets are $5. That's right okay. No, wait. So hold on. So, like an a- April Levine condo. I
10: would go
4: for,
2: f- if they were free, and that's just maybe. So, Tim, leaving aside.
4: A- giving them away with, with every uh, ro- rose plant that they sell at the garden center.
2: <laughs> so full-on, encounter- including service charge, convenience fee, all of that. Would you pay 25 bucks to see Janet Jackson? No. Too high. 20 No. 15
4: Maybe. $17? you are going in. No, but I'm saying you
2: said fifteen maybe. I'm saying seventeen? No, too high. Sixteen.
4: Keep going. Fifteen. Yes.
2: Okay, so you'd pay fifteen dollars but no more. No. I think I would pay fifteen dollars. I don't think I'd pay any more than that. And that's only if I knew that she was gonna sing a bunch of things from Rhythm Nation and Control. That's it. She starts singing any of that crap from the velvet rope, I'm out. That's it. if I knew that she was if I knew that she was gonna sing, if I was gonna get like Miss You Much. Uh, while I was there, I would pay fifteen dollars to see uh, Janet Jackson. I find Janet Jackson—if you—if you didn't notice—that she's trying to make herself look more and more, like sort of sexual and sexy with each album, but it's having like the reverse effect. Like I mean, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's really it too. Really, it's too late. You can only try so many times. <laughs> You've used up she's your no spring chicken. Used up your bites of that apple, Janet. All right. Let's uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, seeing radio correspondent, Amanda Moyer, joining us now from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, Amanda. How are you today on this fine Monday?
11: Hi, I'm well, except for the fact it's really hot here in Atlanta.
2: How hot is it?
11: That's about 96 degrees.
2: Hey, I'm going to write this down for one of our high, we do this thing, High Concept Thursday. I'm going to write this down for the next High Concept Thursday. High Concept Thursday this week will be, it was so hot, blank, blank, blank. All right. Okay. All right. Hold on. Would you like to hear a sample one? Sure. It was so hot, William Shatner was wearing a Teflon toupee. Ha! Uh, Never mind. All right, uh, so in addition to being hot, gas is also expensive.
11: It is. Gas hits $4 a gallon nationally, and it's a major benchmark for motorists. So now a lot of people are saying that... What, what's next? You know, we've got gas at $4. When does it stop? People are fearing $5 now, and uh, we'll have to see exactly what does happen. But it doesn't look like prices are going to come down anytime soon.
2: Let me ask you this. I was talking. I was getting my hair cut uh, this weekend, and so I'm sitting there, and the woman's cutting my hair, and they're doing that thing where they want to make conversation with you, and I think the last time I was there, I feigned laryngitis, uh, oh. you know, and to get out of it, and I don't. so I don't think I could use that excuse again. So she's, like, cutting my hair. And she's like, so... Big plans tonight, you know? And just, uh, no, not really, because I just don't like talking to the person who cuts my hair. And so she's continuing to cut my hair. And, so that gas is pretty expensive, huh? And I said, Well, I guess it is. It certainly appears to be pricey. Yes, yes, it is. And so then a couple, you know, like another thirty seconds goes by. She's sort of like trimming my sideburns, and then she says, Well, I hear gas is going to be six dollars by the end of the summer. And that got me thinking about this, Amanda Moyer from CNN. If everybody is just sort of saying. That gas is going to be six dollars by the end of the summer. A, where does that figure come from, or somebody just making it up? And B, if the oil companies all just sort of hear everybody saying, "Well, I guess it's going to be six bucks by the end of the summer," does that just then give them permission to go ahead and do it?
11: Well, the thing is, that so much speculation—it's running rampant with people, analysts saying that we're going to have five dollars and six dollars. I know um, Morgan Stanley came out on Friday and said that oil would hit one hundred fifty dollars a barrel by July fourth, and that sent the oil crude oil prices skyrocketing i think they were up about $16 on friday between thursday and friday to settle at like 139 so that speculation does have an effect on the market and of course you know it's supply and demand but you're right if people are paying for it then why would it come down? And we're hearing these numbers, and people are kind of panicking, and then it just becomes more rampant. So people need to just kind of <coughs> calm down a little bit, I think. And that's what people are, are really saying at the pumps too. They're upset, they're angry, they're frustrated. But I think a lot of people are still... They understand what's going
2: on. Are you, I mean, is, it, it seems like everybody would just be buying stock in oil companies at this point, right? I mean, the, the thing, my, I mean, my wife of all people, my wife is in Utah right now. She's, going, she's like, hey, we're way up in the stock market because I bought nothing but oil stocks or whatever. And so I, or whatever, so she, so she sunk some money, uh, you know, into, into the oil companies. And so it seems like everybody's talking about the effect it has on the market, but really it's like everybody just goes and buys Exxon stock. It's kind of a wash,
11: well, I don't think anyone, not everyone can afford Exxon stock right now because I'm sure it's going up. But, that is um, true.
2: Are you? Is there? Is, do you remember back in the 70s when there were these, these sort of conflagrations where some guy would go to buy gas and then the guy in front of him would have purchased the last gallon of gas and then there would just be fisticuffs?
11: With price fixes and the long lines
2: yeah, and,
1: it really and does all
11: mean. of that. Yeah, we're not going to see that, but uh, <laughs> definitely is much
2: more expensive than it was back then. All right. Amanda Moyer, Atlanta, Georgia. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Uh, there you go. That's the same thing I said to my wife, by the way. My wife comes and She's like, hey, so the oil stocks I bought are way up. And I said, oh, that's, we're, we're in the chips then. We've, we're independently wealthy. How much do we make? She goes, ah, about $45. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, I can only, affi- I can only afford to buy three shares or whatever it is. because <laughs> like th- That's exactly the thing she was just talking about. Like, they, like the, the oil stocks themselves are just so expensive that to even get them, is like prohibitively costly at this point. So my, w- literally, my wife bought like I bought three shares of of mobile, or whatever. All right, I got all these questions about oil, but I don't even know if this is the right place to do it.
10: Uh, it's a Monday. That's kind of heavy. Yeah.
2: What? Call Lars Larson if you have any questions.
10: It, it's it. not really about that. I
2: guess here's my question, and maybe you know this, Tim. Because right. I was seeing this, I saw a bumper sticker the other day, and I think this is kind of relatable because this is one of those, because, you know, the, the Portland is just filled with, you know, just little. little... Well, and
3: everything's relatable. It's just depressing.
2: It's not even this is, see, this isn't, well, that's true. See, that's why I'm not going to talk about it. gas is so expensive. That, but, you know, this town is just filled with just sort of liberal hippies. I mean, we all know that. Yes. And, But I saw this bumper sticker the other day, and it was like, you know, it was something about. You know, blah, 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 war for oil, blah, 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 blah. And and that's just one of those things you hear people talk about all the time. Well, I'm sick of us invading countries for oil. But I think that people say that, but it's not really true. Like, clearly we're not invading anybody for oil or we would just be taking it. You know what I mean? Like when people say that we're going to war over oil. I don't think that's true because we haven't taken any oil from anywhere. Well, we, we can't take it because,
4: uh, I mean, there, there are oil companies that it goes through before it comes here. Right. It's, not, it's not like we're nationalizing somebody else's oil and taking it and bringing it back that's here. That's what I'm saying. So we're, we're making it safe for oil
2: companies to go in and take oil. Now, but who, but our, but I thought the Iraq country, I thought Iraq owned all their own oil still. Isn't that the big thing they had the other day that Iraq is like, you know, like they owned the oil to begin with. But well, I believe they had contracts with other companies for some of those
4: oil fields way back when, including the old Soviet Union. Right. It's, just, it's all very confusing to me because, well, no matter who owns it and who deals with it, they're not going to give you a
2: break on it. Yeah, that's what, that, I think that was, that was really my point is like when they say that with well, the United States, we're just waging war so we can get oil. Well, clearly, either A, we're not really doing that, or B, we're just incompetent because it seems like if we were really invading countries to get the oil, uh-huh. oil would be cheaper by now. Yeah. So it's oil isn't any cheaper, which means we're not controlling it, which means we're not really going to war for oil, Wait, so how, Yeah,
3: like. so if we're taking the oil from them, how come theirs keeps getting cheaper and ours is That's what expensive? I'm saying. Yeah, so, you're right.
2: I mean, I'm not saying well, our con- uh, that, going that it, where a country goes to war for the right reasons, but I'm saying I think that is a thing that a certain faction of the left just says automatically. No blood for oil. But I don't think that's the deal. I don't think we're giving blood for oil. I think we're giving blood for no real good cause at all, in my opinion. But right. It, it, it seems like if we were going to war to take oil, which sort of seems to be the constant canard of the left, the, like we we just would have done it. So, anyway, I think that's a thing that people say or that people put on the back of their car because it seems like it's probably correct, but when you think about it, it doesn't really hold up. No. All right. Well, that's what I thought. Okay. I knew you were right, Tim. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Here's a uh, snuff watch. Here's your snuff. Really? Yeah. I don't even know who died. oh it's going to be a surprise to all of us.
4: Here's Tim Riley. It's only because we're not big sports fans here, but this this was uh, somebody big, Jim McKay, yeah. one of the most famous sports casters in history. He has died. He was 86. Wide World of Sports. Wide World of Sports. And who can forget that?
0: Banning the globe to bring you a constant variety of sports.
4: The thrill of victory. And the agony the of... The skier that
2: breaks his neck. Yeah. I can picture it even without seeing it. I know exactly what it looks like. Black and white, film.
7: drama of athletic competition. This
2: is ABC's Wide World of Sports. So that was on forever. I mean, and I mean, is the why world of sports still on? Which I don't know. Maybe it was somebody else? Maybe. How old was he? He was 86. Boy, good for him.
4: That yeah. was on forever. Of course, the, the most memorable moment came in 1972 during the uh, Summer Olympics in uh, Munich. He yep. was on the air when the Israelis uh, being held hostage were killed, telling the audience that they were all gone. That was really spooky. It was. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. The documentary. Seen the movie. What is it?
2: Seven Days in September? Is yeah, that it's something called?
4: like that. Wow, but but I remember watching it live, and you could just see the shadows of these guys with the hoods on their oh, heads. Oh, it was so really creepy. Even, oh, give me chills even. So to think it was about really it. eerie. Oh. and that was like a live satellite picture <sighs> in uh, 1970 Black
2: Wednesday yeah. or Black Monday or whatever the hell they were called. It was creepy. I uh, there's a great documentary for people who haven't who haven't Maybe haven't don't know all about that, and I believe it is called Seven Days in September. Michael Douglas is one of the producers of it, and it is sort of the definitive documentary about the terrorist attack at the seventy-two Olympic Games. And on the on the, would you say that's probably one of the most? Oh, it gives me chills! I can't even think about it. See now you remember that. Oh, I mean, it's one of the most recognizable images probably in all of of telejournalism. And Jim McKay kept his cool through that whole thing because he hosted that for like endless hours. Right after that. By satellite, and that's what he's best remembered for. And that was the—I'm trying to remember how it all how it all played out. How at the end they were lifting off in a helicopter, but one of the terrorists threw a hand grenade inside. Uh huh. And then they, you know, they were dead. And then he had that famous line: "They're all gone. They're all gone." Um, wow, boy, what a what a what a weird, goddamn humans are just effed. They really are. They're just they're just we're just a fundamentally flawed, just just degenerative species in so many ways. Uh... But yeah, I'm picturing that that um I think now maybe I'm wrong about this, were all the terrorists killed? Because I it seems to me mm-hmm. that I remember an interview with maybe not the guy, but one of those guys that appeared that had like the big hood over his face, whatever it was. Uh it seems like I read an interview, maybe it was maybe it was just with some sort of guy who was maybe an, a tangential member or something, but uh, but that image of that terrorist coming out and looking out over the balcony or whatever, and he's yeah. got that hood on, and it's just a creepy, it's terrifying. Unbelievably. Did you ever see the, the Spielberg film Munich? Like, no, I haven't. That's a really great film. You ought to see, it's not perfect, but it's really good Um, because it's the story of, of you know, how Israel after that kind of said, well, okay, it's, it's time, it's go time. And they just, they just went out one by one. They identified everybody who was involved, and they, uh... you know, they. they yeah, you don't mess with Israel. Oh no! Oh, they'll kill you. <laughs> they'll kill you. They'll kill your friends. They'll kill your family. They'll kill people who owed your parents money, and then they'll burn down your country. And rightly so, I might add. Yeah. So yeah, you know, and we what... wouldn't put up with that here. Oh God, no! I mean, it's but they put up with it constantly. Well, that's it's... I mean, I would say that is a... I would say that is probably an outgrowth of spending most of your time in human history with everybody around you trying to kill you, mm-hmm. that I think eventually you get to a point where you're like, uh, no, no, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna take care of trouble right at the root. Jesus. All right. Oh, so one last thing in the set the actor who
4: played young George Bailey. And It's a Wonderful Life is that his name was Bob Anderson. He played the younger Jimmy Stewart in mm-hmm. the movie. Is that the kid who crashes through the ice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to save his brother. Uh... Yes. And Harry was wasn't there
2: to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Exactly.
4: Or whatever. Okay, whatever. Well, you sound just like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> you
2: Shut up! That was not Jimmy Stewart. That was <laughs> Clarence the Angel. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I was doing supportive. Clarence the Angel right there. That was not Clarence. That was Jimmy Stewart. That was Jimmy Stewart. as Clarence the Angel. Rick Emerson is Jimmy Stewart as Clarence the Angel. Wait, what was Clarence?
3: Say it again. Clarence is the well, I guy. Know, I know who Clarence is, but really?
2: Yeah, really. Would you like to know? Okay, it's in the scene, you bunch of bastards, where, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's got to show Jimmy Stewart. he has to show George Bailey, you know, why he has to live and whatever. And so they show the... Um, The gravestone, the tombstone where uh, Harry Bailey, uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart's older brother, or younger brother, whatever he is, his brother is dead. And he's showing him the tombstone. It says, like, Harry Bailey, like, 1850 to 1904 or whatever, or whenever he died. And Jimmy Stewart says, well, that's not true. He was decorated for Valerie. He saved 500 men on the Indianapolis, or whatever. And Clarence the Angel says, everybody on the Indianapolis died, George. Harry was really, you're, you're really saying
3: that those are two separate, <laughs> <laughs> those are two separate voices?
2: Whatever yeah. it is, but it's like possible. this
3: episode of Family Guy when Brian was talking to um, Lois's mom, and you know, obviously the same guy doing the right. voices. He's like, they all say that we sound the same. I don't know how we sound the same. <laughs> That's it's funny.
2: Like, anyway, you're really
3: pretending those are two different
2: people. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry, is what Clarence says.
3: Clarence isn't high pitched; she's a little lower.
2: What does Harry sound like, or uh, Clarence sound like in *It's Wonderful Life*? Now I can't even remember. Because I remember that beginning where there's the blinking stars. It goes, he's thinking about throwing away his most precious gift. And then Clarence says, you know, oh, my, his life. I've only an hour to dress. What are they wearing now? Why do I know all the lines from that movie? Jesus, I'm a waste. I'm a wasted human being. You've probably watched it on several occasions. I've made no difference in this world at all, Tim. (laughs) No, you have. You made the world a better place. Don't lie to me. (laughs) No, I can (laughs) see through that. (laughs) I've made the world a better place. Don't toy with me. All right, you haven't. There's your snuff watch for Monday on the radio program. I can separate the wheat from the lie. Do we have the sound? All right.
4: Wow. All right. Clarence. Yes, George? Oh. Where's Mary?
5: Oh, well, uh, I can't. uh, I don't know
4: how you know these things, but tell me. Where is she? If you know where she is, tell me where my wife is. I'm not supposed to tell. Please, Clarence. Tell me doesn't sounds like anybody. You're not going to like it,
2: George. Okay, so he kind of sounds like Burgess Meredith, not so much like the voice I always do. Well, all right. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a break.
4: American American Airlines is increasing... What? American (laughs) Airlines is increasing its domestic round-trip fares $20. And an effort to... Take as much money as they can out of you. The airline implemented the increase uh, over the weekend. The airline is sticking with the increase and has no update on whether other major airlines have matched it. Airlines have increased fares about a dozen times this year. American also announced other new fees recently. One is the $15 charge on the first check bag that drew the ire of passengers. The price of jet fuel has doubled in the past year, as has the weight of the passengers.
2: This guy says everything I do sounds like Walter Brennan. <laughs> Okay, so does it? So when when is that starting that they're doing that? Is that like as of now? Yeah. Can they do that? Well, I guess they, they do can. do whatever
4: they want. The old companies do whatever they want.
2: The utility companies do whatever they want. Yeah. Anyone can do whatever they want to you. I suppose that's true, Tim. It's anarchy! All right, let's uh, take a break. Come back after this. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get uh, phone calls around the corner. More from Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, let's see. What else is coming up? Later on, uh, top five songs with which Rick Astley's never going to give you up shared the charts. Uh, We'll do some bumper music labeling and uh, some other things. All right. Oh, and I'll use the word Machu Picchu. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. I guess I just sort of believed it because Hood River is an unbelievably expensive place to live. So this made sense. He probably has multiple homes. Good for him. I'd like to have multiple homes, and I would just use one as a decoy house. You know what I mean? That's where Rick Emerson lives, and then I would never be there. Ever, ever. That's a great idea. Yeah, get on that, Rick. Someday, if I have enough money, I'm going to have a decoy house. How's your rental house doing? Shut up. Uh, All right, let's see. Uh... (sighs) All right, I said I'd do phone calls. Let's do a couple of these, then we'll have more news with Tim Riley, then we'll do the top five uh, this hour so we don't get behind with it. Um, Coming up, top five songs that shared the charge with Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, Hello, hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show.
0: Hello. Hello. Oh. So my question
6: for you to ask whoever you speak with again is why can't we make oil Walmart style? Where we just say, We're gonna pay you thirty six bucks and that's
2: it. I don't understand. What uh, is your Walmart, what, I,
6: has, Walmart has the buying power to to make their prices what they want, correct?
2: Because they, are, because they are a large retailer, therefore they can set the price with the wholesaler because they move so much of the goods. Correct. So you're saying, why can't we say to OPEC uh, or other oil exporting uh, conglomerates, we use most of your oil, we're going to tell you how much to uh, to whatever. Yeah. Tim? That's a good idea. <laughs> All right. We'll pass it along, sir. <laughs> we thank have you. no answer. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. I know there's probably some logical explanation as to why that can't be done, but I can't really come up with it off the top of my head. Well, I don't think the big oil companies are going to sell to Walmart. No. <laughs> they <make> <laughs> they really should, though. Uh, all right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be.
5: Hey, Rick, this is Benjamin.
2: Hello, sir. How can I help you?
5: Uh, I would like to direct your attention to an email I sent you <clears throat> Excuse me. yesterday at about 1 o'clock uh, and while you're looking that up, if you would, uh, I'm, uh, it, the email is about anagrams. Uh, you've done them for Rick Emerson, Sarah Dillon, Tim Riley, but you hadn't done anagrams for Richie Bristol yet.
2: Oh, God. Please tell me that they're not horrifying or sexual.
5: Uh, some of them are. Some of them are not safe for work, so be careful. But some of the best ones actually uh, actually aren't. So out of uh, 4,592 anagrams that popped up on this generator, I just kind of picked out the best ones and sent them to you. All
2: right. I'll, uh, I'll search through and look for it, my friend.
5: All right, thanks. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go.
2: Speaking of Richie, we'll <sighs> for better or worse, we'll talk to Richie a little bit uh, a little bit later on. Uh, let's see here. Ah, uh, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth.
0: And now from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley.
4: Woman, but she can bring a dead man back to life. The actress who played Wonder Woman of the 1970s said she didn't do anything extraordinary when she discovered the body floating in the Potomac River in Washington. She tells the Washington Post she was alone in her boat when she saw a body floating by. She says she didn't have a cell phone, so she yelled to some fishermen and asked them to call police. She waited until rescuers uh, came and directed them to the dead floating body. So, there's nothing more she could, could have done.
2: By the way, I should note, you went the entire story without actually using her name at any point. Linda Carter. Linda I Carter. Wonder what that's me. what I've noticed. It was sort of a generational litmus test. Because if you're sort of of that, if you're down with pop culture, you will know about whom we speak. Doesn't she know those contact lens commercials now? Isn't that her thing? I don't know. I don't watch commercials. I mean, I think that's that's the I think she does. It's like 1-800-CONTACTS or oh, place it sends contact crappy in the mail or whatever. Uh, but the, I think that's... She is from that era where you just had to have the one hit TV show and you could just milk that for the rest of your life. Uh So good for her. I bet she's still beautiful too. And even if she's not, I don't want to do differently.
4: And Hesh's five-year marriage to Coleman Lafoon (laughs) is (laughs) Coleman Lafoon is (laughs) over.
2: You know their kid is named Homer, right? Mm -hmm. Homer Lafoon.
4: A judge ruled that Hesh must pay two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars to her ex-husband, along with monthly child support payments of three thousand seven hundred dollars for the care of their six-year-old son, Homer Lafoon. (laughs)
2: Let's get that kid some beating right now. Wow.
4: Hache will also have to pay 75% of Homer's private school tuition. The couple agreed to split the cost. Uh, Heish is 39. LaPoon is 34. They're married September 1st, 2001. He filed for divorce. Uh, Heish starred in TV's Men and Trees. She and LaPoon, a cameraman, went well, uh, met while well working on a documentary about Ellen DeGeneres, with whom uh, Are was, you
2: kidding me? Oh, that's tacky. I didn't
4: know that. Oh, yeah, she is tacky.
3: She's just gross. I don't find anything appealing about
4: her. The cows come home to roost this time because she has to pay $275,000.
2: Well, where would Anne Heche even get that kind of money? I don't know. I mean, what is the last thing Anne Haish was in that anybody watched? Anybody? I haven't watched Anne Heche in anything.
3: I've never seen her in anything.
2: Uh, You've seen her in Wag the Dog?
3: I haven't seen Wag the Dog. What? No.
2: Oh, you shame all of us, Sarah Dillon. And that's a fine I film. There's no feel bad. Uh, try to, oh, really? Oh, God, I think I saw uh, like,
3: Five Minutes and Forty me? Days and uh. Forty Nights or whatever that movie was.
2: No, that's that different. difference.
3: With Harrison Ford. Wasn't that her? No,
2: no, no, no. Yeah. That's a, you, no, the Forty Days and Forty Nights is Josh Hartnett. Where oh. he can't have sex for a month. Where he has to go 40 days without sex. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think... Insert joke about Anne Hathaway and Josh Hartnett not having sex. Uh, uh, so, no, no, you... I. I'm not passing judgment. It really surprises me that you haven't seen Wag the Dog. I'm very busy all the time. I'm just saying Wag the Dog is a movie that ought to be seen. Uh, It's just the darkest, meanest political comedy, but hilarious, but really, really funny. Uh, do and, we have
3: like and, Julia Siles and is that what am I thinking of?
2: I don't I know. Asking? Uh it's Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Anne Hayesh, Woody Harrelson is in it. Wag the Dog is a really brilliant political comedy. Really it's it's do you know the general gist of it? No. The president, who I think is William H. Macy, the president gets caught uh, uh in a Community? compromising position with a girl scout. Um and but so to distract the people from it, they hire a Hollywood producer to create an entirely fictitious war. Like, it doesn't, like, just using Hollywood special effects. uh, They create an entirely fictitious war that's not even really happening anywhere... And they put it on TV and try to peddle it to the American people as though it's a... So they hire... So Dustin Hoffman is basically like a uh, Francis Ford Coppola. He's like a Hollywood director. And the president's like fixers. He's spin people. Hire him secretly to to create a completely non-existent war for the news. Awesome. To distract from a sex scandal. It's just... It's brilliant. It's uh, so dark and funny and hideous and, and mean and hilarious. It's... Uh, you got to see it. Uh, David Mamet wrote it. Um, Anne Heche is really good in that. Uh mouth like a sailor because it's a David Mamet film but um I can't remember the last thing other than wag the dog that I saw her in uh-huh uh but well whatever anyway so my question is $275,000 I just I don't even know where you would get that kind of money if you're the person who's not acting in it oh she was in Return to Paradise with Vince Vaughn too I forgot about that mm-hmm. all right well in any event I don't but... So that be you and
3: if other people find her just off putting or not I her- never
2: i never found her attractive at all no. ever and I found her not only uh unattractive but i found her off putting is the word you know who else is like that tay leone I find tay leone really strangely repellent i kind of she seems too. like a c she just seems like an absolute c for reasons that i can't that I can't really define and by the way. Can I just uh, can I say right now that I knew Anne Hayish was crazy, like from like from go, like from the very first day she came on the scene, I knew Anne Hayish was nutty. You know what's great? Have we, have we all seen Bowfinger? Yes, Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin?
3: Mm. no
2: a grant a great Hollywood sort of comedy you gotta see because Heather Graham's. you
3: away from like political comedies. It's
2: it? not now that's not a political comedy. No. it's a Hollywood it's a satire about the movie making industry. okay. Uh, Steve Martin dated Anne Hayish. she actually Steve Martin was the one that she dumped for for Ellen. So she was with Steve Martin, dumped him to, you know, to become to become a lesbian or whatever. Uh, so if you watch Bowfinger, there is a character that Heather Graham plays who is very, cle- A, Heather Graham plays a character who is very clearly supposed to be Anne Heche. And B, there is a religion that is very obviously supposed to be Scientology. Uh, and they just, they both get just shafted.
3: I think Heather Graham's one of the most fabulous people ever. Doesn't she seem like she'd be nice?
2: She does, and hot. You ought to see Bowfinger, though; it's pretty great, and okay. it's got it's one of the rare Eddie Murphy films of the last 20 years that doesn't suck. Here's Tim Riley.
4: Speaking of movies, on tonight the world premiere on HBO of Roman Polanski, Wanted and Desired. <laughs> so, that, and re- immediately after that is *V for Vendetta*, so you can't miss <sighs> Roman Polanski. I mean, he's had like the most violent, horrendous life, and, he, <laughs> and
2: he's still alive. I suppose that's only he's only still alive because he doesn't set foot in the United States. I suppose. Well, the cowardly French took him in. Yeah, well, it's, it's, they, they, they were they were absolutely right about that, didn't he? Didn't one of the Academy Awards a couple years ago? They gave him some award, and he appeared via satellite. Like I, I cannot be in America because they will kill me. But hello, and, and, and they flew it off Federal Express or something. But, every, but he, everybody gave him a standing ovation, which is he's just one of those guys, though. Roman Polanski is one of those guys uh, where you you got to separate the stuff from the stuff, you know? you got to separate the the art from the artist because clearly he's, on many levels, just such a repellent and horrible human being. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's just, you know, that's where the thing where you watch... He made Chinatown, right? That's him? Mm-hmm. He made Chinatown. He made Rosemary's Baby.
4: That was his first American movie.
2: What else did Roman Polanski make that I might know? He made that movie Frantic with Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and then also allegedly drugged and raped a 13-year-old. So there's that. Uh, so it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a mixed bag uh, with him. Um, but, yeah, so then he immediately ran to to, to Paris uh, or wherever, where, of course, they, they love guys like that. Mm-hmm. And so he just – but that's the thing. is like every time he wins one of these awards or every time he's, like, nominated for something, he can't come to America to get it because there's a standing warrant for his arrest. Because if he ever sets foot in America, they're just going to grab that guy and stick him in the deepest, darkest hole for, like, 50 years. Alright, well in any anyway, event, so the movie band, And you know what I because I got rid of HBO, I still haven't seen that movie Recount, the Florida election movie with Kevin Spacey, which is supposed to be really good. So I'm like way behind on my HBO viewing. Well
4: I get I get finagled into HBO because they 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 offer me HBO if I sign this thing to spend a dollar seventy more a month for my service. Which I had to sign up for two years because I was afraid it was going to go up again.
2: It was so cheap you couldn't afford not to do it. A
4: dollar seventy a month? A d-
2: certainly not. That's like one of those. That's like when you try to unsubscribe from a magazine or something, or used to back when we all subscribed to magazines and they would and you would try to cancel it. And and at a certain point, it seemed like they were on the verge of paying you to continue to subscribe. No, look, I'm done reading People magazine. Well, look, we will give it to you for just one cent an issue. Plus, we'll come to your house and give you a rubdown. And you're just like, I don't, but I, I'm done. I don't want to read anymore. Okay, how about this? We will pay for your daughter's college education and we'll give you a car. And I mean, just, it was just the weirdest thing with magazines for a while. Where, it, And I guess it's good all because they were making the money on the advertising or whatever. But uh, let's see. Oh, it, the movie you're thinking of, Anne Hay and Ford, Six Days, Seven Nights. That's the movie okay. you're thinking of. Probably Trek. All right, here's Tim Riley. Oh, it was
4: terrible, what I thought.
2: And then she had that autobiography, which was titled, Call Me Crazy. Done and done. Here's Tim Riley.
4: Well, on Saturday, when a tornado was sweeping through Rinkton Creek, Illinois,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, the bustling hotbed of Rinkton Creek,
4: <laughs> a little dog named Chase was hanging out in the backyard of Sarah Holmes' home. That is, and toward the... Tornado picked him up and took him for the ride of his life. People started coming up saying, we saw your dog flying away. A neighbor to Tanya Smithsart, the dog was in the air. He was going around like he was being pulled off the ground. Well, luckily, this little dog didn't get whisked away to some magical land of Oz. Instead, residents found him more than a block away in the woods. They isn't shocked, but alive and without a scratch on him. Yes, it's the miracle of Rinkton Park.
2: Okay. You know, that's one of those towns where they're going to create a little golden statue of the dog. Oh, mm-hmm.
4: well, speaking of that, they opened a, a brand new nice dog park dedicated to a police dog over on the uh, west side. I went there over the weekend.
2: It's, is that uh, from a, is it a police dog that perished in the line of duty?
4: I'm not sure, but there, there's a fire hydrant with a plaque on it, and uh, the dogs are not allowed to pee on the fire hydrant. It's all sacred. <laughs> is it off-leash? Yes, it How is. How can
2: they control dogs peeing on it, then? That's the very definition of ironic. Yeah, there's a fence around it. <laughs> Really? Yes. That is absolutely the definition of ironic. Well, what I'm kind of it's angered on behalf of monument. the dogs though. But I mean, wouldn't it's you a think beautiful that it's, park. wouldn't you think it's a better tribute to dogs to let the dogs pee on it?
4: I suppose, but they can go I anywhere don't think in this so. park. How
2: is it that you're But I mean, what kind of a tribute to that? What kind of a tribute to dogs is that? You create a big fire hydrant and then you don't let dogs use it for what they want to use it for. Well, it's like a sacred temple to the Buddha. I don't think it's like a sacred temple to the Buddha. And I think probably most Buddhists would, would agree with me on that. That seems
3: almost mean. It yeah. seems like taunting.
2: <laughs> no, they have a whole park to do whatever they want to. We should call up a Buddhist and tell them that their religion is not unlike a hydrant that dogs go on, Tim. So this is a brand new...
7: <laughs>
4: <laughs> it just
2: plunge on ahead. <laughs> it is a, a brand new public park. It has uh, both a big dog section and a small dog section. Is it, So it's demarcated out by size of the dog? It is. That's Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, did you see this record? That I got it's
4: 3.75 acres, 28 parking spaces, a portable bathroom, a small and timid dog area.
2: Intimid dog? Timid dog oh, area. Oh, okay. Uh, I want to create a
4: robot canine called Intimidog. <laughs> Drinking fountains for dogs, a five-foot fence, park benches, shade trees, pet waste baggie stations, and uniquely, disgi- uh, uniquely
2: designed garbage cans. I'm still back on the fact that they built a huge, uh, like a big fire hydrant thing for the dogs, and then they're not allowed to use it. That'd be like creating a, tr- you know what it is? Here's what it would be like. That would be like, um wait, wait for it. No, hold on. Wait. That would be like uh creating a, uh, uh no, no, wait, no. Here's the only thing I could come up with. I was going to say that would be like creating a tribute to one of those guys that eats a hot dog, wins a hot dog eating contest with a hot dog cart that won't sell you anything. But I realize now that's a stupid analogy. <laughs> it's a dumb analogy, and I regret wading into this. I'm sorry, Tim. I wasted all of our time.
4: Well, thanks to all your prayers, Senator Kennedy is heading home one week after his brain surgery. Why, he's as good as new. And he says it's good to be home. He was flying back to Massachusetts today after one week of undergoing aggressive and delicate surgery to treat his cancerous brain. He left the Duke Medical Center in North Carolina this morning and arrived at the family compound in Hyannisport on Cape Cod. Shortly before noon, he's wearing a hat. He told reporters, it's good to be home, good to be here. Somebody's still thinking about the dog park back here. He's uh, 76 and underwent a three and a half hour surgery last week to remove a big tumor. But now he's back to normal.
2: It's summertime, and that means baseball games and gigantic tumors inside your head. Come on! You are going to hell. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm trying to add a little levity to it. Look, Sarah, you either laugh or cry at these situations. <laughs> You're
3: trying to add levity to a brain tumor? Yes.
2: <laughs> yes, I am. Let him do it. It's what we do. It's what I do. Tumor. I barely knew her. Here's Tim Riley. Time for Darwin watch. Here's your Darwin watch for... Oh, you see, we can have a Darwin watch. This is undoubtedly somebody dying in some weird, strange fashion. We can laugh
5: at that.
0: I have a feeling some bad stuff is about to go down. Whatever. Don't!
10: Don't! Don't! I need all my cap! Don't, don't, don't. My parents don't let me use scissors. Don't, don't, don't. Another one bites the dust. Don't, don't, don't. Another one bites the dust.
0: And another one gone, and another one gone. Another one bites the dust. oh my heart just stopped.
4: Ah, there it goes. Well, if you're a parachutist, make sure the next time you jump from a plane that you are wearing a parachute. A twenty-nine year old <laughs> man leapt to his death out of a plane ten thousand feet in the air, with cameras rolling and no parachute. His body was found next to a house with a damaged roof. Sloan Capello of Schenectady, who was observed on the flight, followed an instructor, student, and videographer out the door. Except for one thing. He wasn't wearing his parachute. <laughs> They do not suspect foul play, but would not elaborate. Now, Robert Rowlings, pilot and owner of Dunesburg Skydiving Club, said he was flying with a single-engine plane and began to close the door when the man jumped. His body was
2: found next to a house west of Albany. Well, there you go. So, uh, there's that. All right. Uh, we'll take a break here. We'll come back in the next hour. Oh, I've got this. Um, I don't know if I want to call it exciting. Interesting, but utterly predictable kiss news. Uh, something that I, I predicted this so long ago. I called this. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No, Have you heard no. the Kiss news? No. All right. I'm going to put it right there. I'm going to seal it. And by seal it, I mean fold it in half. There you go. We'll read that when we get back. Uh, let's see. Coming up in the next hour, top five. Uh, top five songs with which Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Share the charts. Uh, we'll talk to Richie Bristol. Uh, let's see. And uh, we'll get to uh, your calls and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. no don't, don't. Another one
7: by Don't, don't, don't! Another one bites the dust, and another one down, and another one down. Another one bites the dust, yeah.
2: We distinguish ourselves by not doing it then. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. All right, well. All right, I suppose we you, you, you should you gotta
5: do, it. do it. All right, right here.
2: It's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Our right, intrepid PA, Richie Bristle. Uh, 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 now. Don't let me forget to get to this kiss thing. Uh. Ugh. Oh! Even I'm disgusted by that today. I don't know why. Uh, over here on Mike, Mike four, 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 yeah, Mike three has got some weird. There's like a gating issue. Or so. Well, actually, I'm sure to make everybody else like suffer as guinea pigs. Do me a favor. Talk on Mike three for a second. I want to see if the gating issue's been fixed. Hello. Don't. Okay. No, it hasn't. All right. Hello. No. All right. Thank you. Put you on Mike four said. Now there's a gating right. issue on Mike three that uh, that Matt is aware of. He's supposed to fix it. Hello, Richie. How are you today? Good. You got a haircut? Yes. No, okay. I got them all cut. Oh, Richie. (laughs) We won't talk about the
1: downstairs razor.
2: uh, No, no, no. See, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, Have you always done this? Have you always been... Uh, There's one of two possibilities. A, you have always done the overshare, uh, where you uh, volunteer bits of information that maybe people are not expecting. uh, Or has this show just... Is this show uh, an outlet for things that in the past you had no uh, no forum to express. Uh no I'm typical of too much information. So you always sort of do that kind of thing. It's yeah. just that now you're in front of the I don't a microphone, remember this
3: room we've worked together though for years. Like
10: it always seems so nice I mean, and well,
1: I had to be at professional
2: intercom. at
1: the you know but that's what it is.
10: So <laughs> but
2: uh-huh. I mean so now you're in a position where you don't have to have any sort of tact or decorum at all. Yeah. Good for you. So here's the thing. I understand uh, <clears throat> Uh-oh. Sarah. Well, no, no, It's just that Sarah mentioned this real casually on Friday, sort of at the end of the show, sort of in passing, and we don't really have time to talk about it, except to say that for those who sort of came in late. So Richie, what last Wednesday had uh, biblical knowledge of had relations uh, with some poor sap of a woman, <laughs> um, and then. Came in the next day and was talking about it, but by the same, but then you kept going on about how we weren't allowed to know who it was, which is fine, and I absolutely, and I would say for the record, I respect that. Uh, if, if if she doesn't want it to broadcast or whatever, totally understood. I respect that. I'll honor that. You know, whatever. Except then later in the program, in the week on Friday, I you told Sarah. So here's or the maybe thing. Maybe he didn't. He did. I know he did. I can tell from your expression that he did. So here's the thing. I'm not asking you to tell me. Uh, again, because it sounds like she doesn't want it to be known, so that's fine. Uh, but but I would like you to at least offer to tell me, so then I can say no. Sure. But see, you don't mean it. If I <laughs> ask you right now in the hallway... Why I does it matter? Tell- that's just like, the it cancel itself out. No, because I at least want to know, because it's, it's the principle of it. Because if he told you... But he won't tell me. Then what does that say about me? That it means that you and Richie have a special bond, and I want—I want you and Richie to have a special bond that Richie and I don't have. We got exactly. we I thought we had a. Con- we we're on
3: the same bowling team
2: together, yeah. Richie and- We've gotten drunk, Richie. I thought we had a. Con- I thought we were men. Oh. I mean, can we be men here for a moment? Sure. Oh I thought. God, that- you're really
10: pulling out the man <laughs> card. <laughs> I'm just
2: saying.
3: We get bond with everything else. It we're doesn't like the same kind of genitalia. It
2: doesn't. It doesn't make sense that he would tell you and then not offer to tell me. Oh. Let me ask you this. Let me you, ask you some. You
5: something. get easy,
2: though. Please. <laughs> Wait. What does that mean? Is it does that somebody uh, who I would not find desirable? No, no, not mm. like that. But <laughs> start shaking your head. <laughs> no, but, you'd
3: find this person desirable. Let me
2: uh, now. It, let me ask you some qualifying questions. And again, you, I'm, not a- I'm not asking you to tell me who it is. I'm just. First of all, let me just go back to this. I'm not asking you to tell me who it is. But it would be nice if you told me that you would tell me. I would. But you're lying. (laughs) I know you wouldn't. So that's fine. Uh, All right. So is this, when you're saying it's a person that I would find desirable, is it a person that I would find desirable or a person that I do find desirable? Sarah, don't look away. Don't avert your gaze. Mm -hmm. Look over here.
0: Or did. Look at (laughs) Oops.
3: (laughs) Yes, it's someone you find desirable. All right. Really?
2: Really, truly? Mm Mm-hmm. Mhm. Wait.
6: Oh, we got steam coming out of his ears.
2: I don't know because I'm just trying to. Uh, is it? Uh, I don't know if
3: you've ever like completely verbalized it, but
10: I know. Is you it did. somebody
2: that I have indicated that I think is attractive? Have I ever have? Uh, is it someone that I have I have indicated to you? Like, hey, so and so's really uh look at that. Hey hey, hey now. Look I'm pretty
3: that. sure I'm wow. um yeah. <laughs> Muppet is bark Muppets
2: agree. Two I'm,
3: two for no. I'm I'm pretty sure that yes you
2: <sighs> is, at some
3: point in time. Um
2: hmm, I don't I don't even really know what to say. I don't even have any other uh
3: But okay, so now is this making you want to know? He did, but see, the thing is, but, but, no, but here's the thing is, I know,
2: did you? Did he volunteer to tell you, or did you drill it out of him?
3: Well, no, I pestered him and did pestered you, him. Did you, you shook
2: it out of him finally?
3: I finally did, know, and I had totally given up, and then he sent me an email, he's like,
2: if you really want to know, I'll tell you after. Is it now, is this the thing that you just had to tell somebody? Is it where it was just sort of burn like money that burns a hole in your pocket?
0: Uh, yeah. It was
2: just like, now, is Sarah the only person who knows? Uh. Like your boys don't know? They don't know, they trying to... Drag it out of I me. Mean, so, yeah, because
3: Adam and I were talking, actually, on Friday, and he's like, Richie's being so tight about this, I can't even
2: get it out of him. Sarah's the only person other than you and the and the, uh, the woman. is Sarah's the only person who knows. Mm-hmm. How does it feel, Sarah Dillon? You enjoy lording that over me? Mm-hmm. Going to hoard it like the Ark of the Covenant? That's fine. I'm just saying, it's a... <sighs> yeah. It's what? <laughs> it's what?
3: I think that you'd be surprised.
2: Would I? Mm-hmm. Would I be surprised at, the, at Richie, or would I be surprised at the person, the woman? At the,
3: at the person. Now, this is the person... Um, who is in no way, like, directly affiliated, with, like, you or my life. So, like, All it's right. nobody that, you know, that we know, like, from out of radio.
2: Okay. Oh, is it nobody we know via the show?
3: It's somebody we know via the show. But it doesn't, but it's not someone that we, like, go out and
2: spend. It's like, not someone in our immediate circle of acquaintances? <laughs> is it a person I've spent social time with? Let me ask you this. Yes. Hold on. Let me ask you this. Is it a person that I've spent time with? when I wasn't on the clock, so to speak? In other words, is it somebody that I've I've spent time with when I was not doing something in aid of the program? Mm. Like, not this, for example, but kind of like going out to dinner. Next question, please. (laughs) Get a lifeline.
3: I don't know. Hmm. I think it might just be more more show related although we like there have been events that this person has been at that I know that you have corresponded with them
2: mm. <laughs> I don't even know what that means
3: I like were like I, I know you know you're aware of their existence okay you know them by name okay you've spoken with them okay and I don't I don't know what else to okay that's to. it
2: I well I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to quit asking because I can't I can't think of any other I can't think of any other clarifying questions I'm just saying Okay, Richie, just... I, I would tell you. Richie, uh, see, but now would you But would you really... I think he would. No, would you really? At this point, would you really tell me? Mm-hmm. Okay, then I don't need to know. That's just how... Okay, there... Now you know what I do with my shrink all the time. I just need to know that he would tell me, even if he wouldn't really. Okay. All right, so there you go. All right, so, but you would tell me if I asked? With details.
7: <laughs> wow. Oh.
2: Sarah, do you know details? No. That's I what don't guys do. That's what no, men do, Sarah. told
3: me who it was, I was like, oh boy.
2: I don't need to know any more about that. All right.
3: And to tell you the truth, I was.
2: What did surprise me?
3: I was very surprised.
2: Very right. surprised. Okay.
3: Um. Yeah.
2: Okay.
4: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I to go with
2: that. All right. Excellent. I was surprised. All right. Thank you, Richie. Oh, that's it. I think. I we're think so. I, I can't
3: think of anything else. And no, I mean, we're not going to talk about the responses to your sex toys. That's, no, no, it's dude. So vile.
2: Isn't that illegal? Wait, hold on. Come back for just a second, just real quickly. I got a phone number. Okay, but didn't we just dis- <laughs> determine that it's actually a violation of Craigslist terms of service, which I didn't know but for you to be up, selling sex toys? I I guess so. I didn't read the. Print. I didn't read the fine print. Is for other people.
9: Yeah. Let uh, me get a pass? subprime mortgage. So I think people tag you if you don't follow the
2: rules and then they All right. I would down. just – I mean, I'm just – I don't think it's illegal. I think it's probably a Craigslist thing that they don't want uh, – you know, that that's not a thing they sell. Because, like, you can't sell uh, – I think, like, you can't sell guns or whatever on Craigslist. Like, I think there's a bunch of stuff that, like, you're not – you're not supposed to. I think you can't sell – I also think, like, on Craigslist, I think you can't sell pets. I think you can put up that a dog is up for adoption, but I don't think you can sell – like, you can't say puppy to good home, 70 bucks. Like, you can't sell – uh, puppies on Craigslist. Yeah, I try to do want Because they don't want to fund puppy mills or, you know, whatever. I like, did that with uh, kittens because they were saying, like, they feed them to pythons and stuff like that. But you can't do it. It's all part of the circle of life, Richard. Oh. All right. Well, but in any event, so you put the ad up and.
3: And there are people out there freakier than Ricky. Let's just say that. Oh, like,
2: in, I haven't read any of the emails. Improbably, though, it does <laughs> seem that when you put up these used sex toys, and I can't even believe that phrase is leaving my mouth. Hi, Mom. Uh, on <laughs> Craigslist, that people then emailed you and wanted to buy them. Yeah. Was Not
3: this... only that, it's just like weird. You see, like the darker side of people, where they're just totally into it. Like it's, it's like porny writing, like this... writing them. that's like, oh yeah, you know, was you it... got what I need. Now, were
2: these were people? Were these people who were? Um, were these people who were interested, despite the fact that the toys had been used, or because of the fact that they had been
0: used? Uh, one of them was specific on the fact that.
2: How it was used? They want. They wanted to know exactly in what One manner. One of them was
3: specific. One of them wanted to pick up the toys from Richie while letting while doing something to him.
2: Really? Were they offering to pay in trade? I think sh- it was some chick, and I think she didn't see the used parts. She, she thought it was. Positive. Oh, she must. No, 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 no. That's not true. Don't she must look at it.
3: Anyone with that name uh, had saw the used. Well, part. and
2: anybody looking on Craigslist, I mean, she must know they were used because otherwise, in other words, how do I put this? I mean. This woman who offered to come by and whatever for in exchange for your use, she must have known that these marital devices were used because that's the sort of thing you would deliberately look on Craigslist for. Otherwise, you would just go to the store. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like if you just wanted like a regular, well, I want to get a vibrator, and a, you know, a brand new vibrator. Well, you just there's a billion places in Portland, including fine sponsor, Taboo Adult Video, that, where you could just go and buy one. Uh, the reason you go to Craigslist is because you're looking for something that you can't buy in the store. What can't you buy in the store? One that's been used. Richie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a hint so of were Richie. Were they
3: specific to you, Richie? Did they know that they were you, that they used by you, or did they just, like, no, want you is... sex toys in general?
1: Yeah. She said God, num- people are gross. She gave her number and said,
9: calling back, I assume this is a man, right? That one. And? Uh,
2: okay. Scary. All right. <laughs> we'll be done now. Thank you. Okay. All right. You know, the thing about Richie is, you know, in The Mist... How I know. <laughs> you know in the mist how the uh, the MP is describing to the people in the store exactly how all the unpleasantness started to happen? He goes, "Well, it's like we were up at the Arrowhead Project and we were like trying to do this experiment where it could create like a window and look into another world." Richie is that window into another world, you know. And it's filled with all kinds of unpleasant, scary things.
3: I do love Richie, though, because he doesn't... Because I'm curious about that weird world sometimes yeah. because I don't even understand how people... But you are, can
2: live it through him.
3: Yeah, like, he'll forward me, like... And he doesn't make this stuff up. He does not make this stuff oh, up. No. He will forward me things from MySpace that girls will send to him. He'll he'll send me the whole conversation It does them.
2: sound like he is... And I'm not trying to say... I mean, Richie's a good-looking man. He's, uh, you know, he's funny. He's, you know, he's, he is... I mean, as much as we sort of make fun of him, I mean, Richie's got a lot going for him. But um it, it does seem, though, like there's only two – it seems like there are two things happening here. The more he talks about this really – I'm not even going to say horrible, just this really sort of strangely perverse and explicit – and again, I'm no prude, but I'm just saying he does a lot of things that I think the average person would find a little deviant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like the more he does it, there's only two things that happen one is there's a whole group of people who are like god this is horrifying this is revolting i beg of you no more this is the worst thing i've ever heard but it does seem like there's a there's a, a group of people and maybe a group of women who find it uh who i don't know are, are sort of intrigued by it or maybe are uh, or maybe are sort of um uh, into the fact that he is so just upfront and open about everything. yeah by
3: the way yeah the person who was the person from the other day yeah. i mean i was shocked like it isn't uh, somebody it's somebody and I'm not judging you if you're listening by any stretch, because I know who this person yeah. is. I'm like, I'm not judging you, but I'm really surprised. Like, i am it really does make you think, like, why would... The, what evil pers-
2: lurks in the hearts yeah. of men. Yeah,
3: and it's just like, I want you to, you know, come over and do me with 11 sex toys and <laughs> Richie. <laughs> I just didn't see that in that person when yeah. I met
2: them. So to speak. Ah. Ew. Uh, all right. Well, you know, what can you do? Um... Well, let me do this kiss story, uh, and then we'll, uh, take a break. We'll come back with, uh, with Tim Riley. Actually, you know, let's wait. Let's do the break. Come back. Tim, I'll we'll have Tim do this kiss story. And then we'll do the top five. Top five songs with which, uh, Rick Astley's never gonna give you up. Share the charts. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, This email says, subject line here, cancer can be funny. Rick, please let Sarah know that your cancer humor is appreciated. My mom is currently fighting cancer, uh, breast cancer and gave my sister and I permission to use her sickness as an alibi for anything. So we've already joked that we could get away with petty crimes and misdemeanors with the line, Come on, officer, my mom has the cancer. He says, uh, "As my mom will attest, the only way to deal with cancer is to laugh in its ugly face." Joel in Brooklyn. So there you go. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at the Ministry of Truth, this Tim Riley. And now from the Ministry of
4: Truth, this is Tim Riley. A couple who tried to beat the high cost of gasoline by hoarding it in their apartment. <laughs> had their little plan backfire when flames ignited, causing a fire that displaced residents of eight units of their complex. Their
2: plan plan what, Tim? Backfire. Backfire? Mm -hmm. Uh, It was fueled by
4: the gasoline stored in the utility closet. Uh, The husband and wife were living on the second floor. It was estimated they had 45 gallons (laughs) in nine plastic jugs. Wow. And just to be on the safe side, the jugs were covered with cloth rags. Of course they and were. And sank in a hallway closet <laughs> that housed the air conditioning unit.
2: <laughs> Why not? Nobody was seriously injured <laughs> in the fire. Well done, morons. Hey, do you that, have the kiss story? that I hand you the kiss as story? As a matter of fact, I do. All right, okay, just double-checking. I'm going to read it right after no,
4: this not, chocolate okay. factory fire. In Chicago's west side turned deadly when workers are overcome by chocolate fumes. One of the three workers at the Bloomer Chocolate Factory died when well, another hospitalized in critical condition. Bloomer, I barely knew her. We said the co-workers on the fourth floor, and they were overcome by the chocolate smells. Apparently, the fuse had an ammonia-like chocolate smell, but there was no ammonia leak and no explosion. Gene Simmons says he'll start a new version of Kiss with four new members. <laughs> what did I say?
2: I predicted this years ago, by the uh-huh. way. I, to the, and I'm not saying I'm the only one to say this, but to my knowledge, I am the first person to ever publicly say, just call it. I mean, I just said it flat out that it was just a matter of time before Kiss just decided to get four brand new guys and just stay at home and let the checks commit. And you know when I made that announcement? I made that announcement after we saw Kiss and Poison uh, at the Clark County Fair a couple years ago um, because Paul Stanley was up there. Uh and I have some sound on this. Uh but Paul Stanley was up there saying, Young people, blah blah blah. The KISS was here for your parents. KISS will be here for you. And he's like seventy. I mean I love Paul Stanley. He's the star child and I' but going mean he's 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 got bad hips and everything. And uh and so I right then I saw the future. It was like the clouds parted and inside my own head I saw a vision of the next fifty years. And I at that I'm mean, sounding melodramatic about it, but at that moment, I mean, as soon as Paul Stanley said that, Kiss will be here for you. I knew just as soon as I, as sure as I knew my own name, uh, that what he was going to do, they would eventually, because they've already replaced. I mean, look, Tommy Fair and Eric Singer aren't original members. They've only got Gene and Paul at this point anyway. From then I knew that what they would all they would have to do is just get two other guys and then you got to you know it's like a car on which you just replace the parts every 15 years. Brian Wilson almost did that with the Beach Boys at one point. Brian Wilson got so sick of touring and got so sick of being out on the road and the band wasn't getting along and they were squabbling and everybody had drug problems and Brian Wilson at one point floated the idea to the Beach Boys of look. We'll stay home, we'll write the songs, we'll record the songs, and then we'll just send a a brand new group out, and they will be the Beach Boys. We'll sit at home and write the stuff, and they will go out and be the public face. And the other Beach Boys weren't having any of it, because they all wanted to keep touring. But I knew, I knew this day would come. I knew it. I knew it. So they're accepting applications now. I got a little sound from Gene Simmons on this. Um, And this is not like wacky parody sound. This is actual sound. Um, Because the other thing is, I mean, if you think about the, 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 the Kiss... The the money streams that go into the Kiss that go into the Kiss organization. There's merchandising, there's the actual sales of the records, there's the sales of the music, there's use of the music and licensing of the music for ancillary products like films or toothbrushes, and, and then there's the touring. And the touring is such a huge part of that. There is no, and it's such a strong brand name, maybe the strongest brand name in rock. There is no way that Gene Simmons in particular would ever let that. Avenue of money dry up. That particular revenue stream, if he, there's a way he could keep it going, obviously he wouldn't. This is how he'll do it. So he was interviewed on a Swedish uh, talk show. I think it's called NKR.
4: NRK. I guess they have their own
2: there. NRK. So uh, this huh. is a, it's a Swedish talk show. And the guy says to Gene Simmons. And what's funny is you'll hear Gene Simmons. And then the guy puts the same question to Paul Stanley, who is clearly uh, irritated at Gene for letting the cat out of the bag, because this is followed up by Paul giving a sort of non-denial denial.
1: I want to get into the subject that you say that Kiss can
0: continue without you.
1: So, at some point, will we see a Kiss Idol like American Idol?
0: The answer is yes.
1: Oh. You, you got an idea for me now,
6: that you? Use? Well, the deal—the deal, is, the deal <laughs> has just been signed. There is no
0: signed deal, you know. It, this is Paul. You know, again, it—it's when we're both asked the same question. Sometimes you get different answers. Is it true? It's yes. Is just? Into an Yes. Could you tell about it? No. <laughs> just a little bit? It'll it's coming soon. What will happen? We'll, we'll see as we go along. But um, is something going to happen next week? Is there something signed? No. But am I opposed to the idea of going out and trying to find, you know, um, new... Kiss members through the television? Of course not.
9: I
5: believe that Kiss can. This is their manager. Forever. I believe that there is a way, and we are talking to people, and we're pretty close to getting it done. About finding the four new members of Kiss.
2: So there you go. So I mean, it clearly it, something is in the works, and Paul just is uncomfortable or embarrassed by the idea or doesn't want it revealed publicly. But their manager, Doc McGee, is there admitting it. And then there's Gene saying, no, it's in the works. It's going to be coming soon. So it's I knew it. 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 All right.
3: So it's going to be like a rock star supernova thing.
2: Absolutely. Oh. But it'll be a full band. Yeah. It'll be like, you know, Kiss like Idol or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But it'll be making Kiss, and they'll get four new members. And Gene and Paul will just sit at home and uh, license their. I mean, they already licensed the images. See? Like, for example, when they did the reunion tour. Like, if you see Ace, Fraley, and Peter Criss, when they were out doing their solo stuff, you'll notice they didn't use the cat makeup or the Spaceman makeup, because Gene and Paul own that, uh, which is why they can continue putting new guys in the in the cat and Spaceman makeup, because they own that stuff. They own the likenesses and the makeup design. So, and, you know, and they obviously own the, the, light, the, the rights to their own makeup design, so all they would have to do is just get four dudes, put on the makeup, go out there, do the Kiss show, and then the check just arrives at Gene's house every month, so... Yep, there you, you were
5: go. right all along. I was, Tim. Mm-hmm.
3: All right. it over everyone, Rick Emerson. It was me.
2: Now it's me they love. Here's uh, your five, top five. Four, you they have forgotten. Ooh, two,
10: one fire! Fire! Counting is wonderful.
5: Counting is marvelous. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is
7: ecstasy. I love to count.
2: Don't you? you? Here's Tim Riley with today's top five.
4: And as Rick Astley takes his rightful place alongside musical icons of an earlier time, it's worth reflecting on how he first came to our attention. What was the era? What did it sound like? Who were his contemporaries? And these are the top five songs that share the charts with Rick Astley's that we're going to give you up. By
2: the way, I was reminded of uh, the Rick, you know, the Rick Roll thing is, is many, many weeks old now. But I do have to say that this was prompted by this morning when somebody sent me the, hey, click here to check out Michelle Obama's Whitey video. Click it. And I knew it as soon as I hit the button. As soon as I clicked on the link, I knew it. And you hear that doo-doo, doo-doo, dun dun-dun-dun. And i was like, damn it! So, all right, here's Tim Riley. Audible
4: venture with Michael Jackson, man with a mirror.
2: This is from, uh, Bad. That's what this is from.
4: I love this
3: song.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you listen to this song and it's just, you realize how he is just a collection of vocal ticks. Not that I'm one to criticize, I suppose, but he's all just... You know, it's... Gonna make a difference.
7: Gonna make it right. And I turned up the
2: it's like there's that thing on the net I think it's it You're the Man Now, Dog Where you can It's a thing where somebody's cobbled together All of Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of. I and it's just doing an endless loop That's kind of what Michael Jackson sounds like to me Good song, though he good was album. pretty once upon a time He was an attractive man This is a really strong album This has got um, The Way You Make Me Feel And Dirty Diana Which is a great song Uh, what else? It's got the Leave Me Alone. That's a really solid track. And bad. There is a lot of cowbell in this. I never noticed that. Thank you, Will Farrell. Thanks for ruining everything. Will Ferrell was in one of the Family Guys I watched last night. Playing the Black Knights at the Renaissance Fair where he and Peter were jousting. Counting on the top five songs that shared the charts with Rick Ashley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Hi, David Lee Roth, Just Like
4: Paradise. Why
2: isn't this playing? So this is that video that has Steve Vai playing the triple neck guitar and David Lee Roth rappelling down the side of a rock cliff. By the way, what you do realize when you listen to the song is this is just a thinly veiled rewrite of And the Cradle Will Rock by Van Halen. I love David Lee Roth, but boy his solo stuff is all really dated. You can tell this was early on in his solo career, too, because there's the opening where he's doing the rock climbing. And then when they're on stage, they're doing that weird 80s rock video thing where it's David Lee Rock and his full band rocking out to no one. Just on a stage, full light show, pyrotechnics, dancing around the stage, no audience, none, nobody there. It's like the video for Talk Dirty to me, same thing.
4: Wow, this sounds really lame.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You're right, Tim. It is really lame. It is really lame. (laughs) And I love David Lee Roth, but boy, there's this moment come up here in just a second though that is so and the cradle will rock. God, check those keyboards. Well, whatever. I don't care enough to wait for it. Here are the top five songs that shared the church with Rick Astley's never gonna give you up. Number four,
4: Richard Marks, Endless Summer Nights
3: love Richard Mark.
2: Boy, I hated the 80s. There's a lot of... I mean, well, I guess they're all 80s things, because this is, what, 80s... eighty eight Sort of in March of 88. But I'm listening to these, you know, songs, and I'm looking ahead. <sighs> Jesus. Especially the next one. Not so much this one, but the next one. You know, I, I remember that... I, would, I, would, I was doing a Top 5 one time, and it was a bunch of 70s stuff. And it was one of those... I, I, I think... Clyde and I were counting down some sort of 70s list, and he was just shaking his head, and I said, what? And he goes, he goes well, you know, kids love the 70s in a sort of kitschy way, but it's like, I was there. The 70s sucked. I don't like to be reminded of it. And I think that's how I feel about the 80s. Maybe Sarah will feel that way about the 90s at some point, but... Boy, I mean, there were some standout moments in the 80s. I mean, there's some good records there. I mean, you get your real obvious ones, your Michael Jackson, your Madonna, your Guns N' Roses. But boy, there's just a bunch of crap from the 80s. It was terrible.
0: I remember playing this. Really? Yeah. I
2: just don't want to be reminded of the 80s. I didn't enjoy the 80s at all. I remember playing this on that turntable.
4: Really? On a 45? Yeah. And I was told, if we keep breaking the needles, we're not going to be able to use the turntables anymore. (laughs) It's like, whose problem is that? You'll have to play it on cart, Tim. No. This is from the new ninety two point seven FM. You've got your own radio
2: station, Me Valley. Nobody cares. <laughs> this is the sort of thing they would play, in Simi Valley. I asked if it was on a forty five. As though there would be anything else. As though it wouldn't be a single. No, no, no. We're going to play some Richard Marks depth cuts. We're going to play some album cuts from Richard Marks. Jesus. Top five songs that shared the charts with Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Three. Brenda Carlisle. I get. You. This is the one I was thinking of. Listen to how. Listen to the eighties just all over this. You know this song, don't you?
3: I was thinking I get so this isn't I guess the so weak in the knees, is it? I'm thinking of an early '90s. song. I think song. you're
2: thinking of a different song. Never mind. This is one to Carlyle of the Go-Go's. When I hear you, I say That's what I'm talking inside. about Tim. Tim heard it. My heart's
7: all My tongue
4: is tied.
2: She got a great voice. This is just. I don't even know if it's a good song. I just can't, I can't separate this song from the era in which it came out.
4: All the music from this era town was easy to segue. Just pick up anything and it'll go with the next
2: thing. Because it all had the same sound. It was all big, echoey keyboards. Big, echoey, heavily gated drums. Just a lush sort of background vocals behind everything. Like a really soulless, plasticky beach voice. She's hot, though. She was hot on the go-go's, and she was, I think, didn't she pose for Playboy when she was like 45 or something? I think she posed in Playboy a few years ago. I mean, here's an example. You listen to this song, and then in your head, mentally play any of the 80s hits that Hart had. They all sound just like this. They all sound like they were produced by Ron Nevison, every one of them.
10: Yeah.
2: It's pop from the suburbs. It really is. is. It's the softest of rock, Tim. It's grown-up rock. <sighs> Counting down the top five songs that shared the chart with Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Number two, Patrick Swayze. She's like the wind. Yes, she is, Tim.
3: Yeah, listen to that sax.
2: Yeah. Thank you. How bizarre that Patrick Swayze was a pop singer and a successful one.
3: Seriously, I had this soundtrack and I had no idea it was him. I thought someone was messing with
2: me. You know what's strange is that... Except for, like, shows like this. Are you doing, like, a sparkle motion thing over there? What you... Sure, I'm feeling it, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Patrick Swayze sort of success as a pop singer has sort of been forgotten. I mean, which is strange because it was a big hit. I think this went to number three. If you were to go up to the average person in the street and go, Patrick Swayze, what did they do? They go, uh, I don't know, uh, Point Brick, Roadhouse, you know, Red Dawn. And... Oh, like... And you say, like, what else? You go, like, what else did Patrick Swayze do? I don't know. Hey, did he have it? Was he a singer? I don't know. I mean, no one really remembers.
3: I just had the worst thought. Should I say it?
2: Yeah, play it about cancer. Yeah. They're going to play this at his funeral. Yeah,
3: but they're going to change it. He's like, the, like wind, the wind. And they're going to have some, yeah, some starlet, like, sing it to him. Oh, God.
2: Totally. We should totally angle for that job now. Actually, try to angle, see if we can get Storm that gig. <laughs> He's like the wind. Wait, let's play it again for the beginning, thinking about him being dead. Don't everybody ever everybody cry.
7: No, I'm just saying, he's, he's getting better.
2: <laughs> is he really? Yes.
7: Okay.
2: Ladies, we're, here, we're gathered here today. And, like, there's the sad, framed picture of him on top of the casket.
3: I'm almost picturing it as the November Rain-esque video.
2: Winona Riders in the front row. Without him.
3: Oh, it's kind, of, kind of sad.
2: Yeah. And see, he's like the wind, and the wind is... that That's the wind of his soul fluttering to heaven. The wind of
10: change returns. Kind of All right. Oh, I feel dirty. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks
2: so much. Uh, here... Uh... <laughs> These are the songs that share the charge with Rick Astley but, He's never going to give you that up That's pretty weird I mean Storm can,
4: can see her on top of the casket with red heels <laughs>
2: Storm like pumping the casket at Patrick Swayze's funeral You said that, I did <laughs> I did say that. say that Are we ready for
4: number one? I'm ready whenever
2: Here's George Michael and Father Pig Yeah well, we're just a few days away from him being in Seattle. Oh, That's true. Cool. You know who's going to see that is Joni. I'm really jealous. And you're going too, right? Yep. I'll be gone the next day. Yeah. Because I can't get the train to come back fast enough. Boy, this is such a great song. Did you ever hear the, um, the PM Dong song that, uh, that used this? set adrift of... In looking 100%. through... No, know you're thinking of a different one. Oh. It, looking through patient eyes. Well done. What it. am
3: I thinking of? You're thinking duh, of... Duh, um, duh, duh. Oh, I know. I I it. Out. Oh, All right, he Bye. just runs away from us like
2: Jesus. you smell bad. He's like the wind. Uh, so, you're thinking of Set of Drifter Memory Bliss, which samples that true song by Spandau Ballet. There's a song by P.M. Dawn, which was number one in 1993. It was the biggest single in 1993, Sarah, and it was called Looking Through Patient Eyes, and it sampled or interpolated, as they say, it used the melody from the song. I
3: do remember I was 13 years old at 10,000. Oh, the oh, oh. oh damn
2: that. it! Damn it! I thought that was we, the hook. We must break. But I. No, we wasted too much time on Patrick Swayze. Come on! Fine, whatever. Fine. That's what you want to do. No, we're done. That's it. You, we don't have time, we don't have time. I'm turning it off. Yes. Thank you. Glad you had the same thought I did, Sarah. Back after this to wrap it up. Like is at three. Michael Merrick showed seven. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll do phone calls till the top of the hour after this. Stay there. To shreds, you say. Uh, all right, this is the Rick Emerson radio program. We now enter the saddest part of the uh, broadcasting day. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's just do random calls to the uh, top of the hour here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Speak now and amuse us.
1: That top five made me throw up a little bit in my mouth.
2: <laughs> what about it specifically, sir?
1: Uh, well, I graduated in 1988 from high school, yeah. and it just brought back this hideous flood of memories and bad.
2: Every, That's what I mean. It's not that the songs themselves are bad; they're just inextricably linked with times I'd rather forget.
1: That's exactly right. Although you did, you did save the whole thing by the whole Patrick Swayze cancer deal. That was pretty funny.
2: <laughs> Nothing brings up the mood like cancer, sir.
1: <laughs> Thank you. All, at least it's Patrick Swayze's. Hey, one more thing, quickly.
5: Is it crazy where you are?
2: <laughs> I thought he was going to hang up. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show.
5: Hey, Rick. Um, I'd hate to. I hate to point out that perhaps you're. Um, Noting on Patrick Swayze's uh, movies that he, you might say that he had done, I would say Ghost. Oh, yeah, Ghost. Yeah, I forgot ghost about that. because I'm... PBS played that on repeat for, on the weekends for like a year. Oh, it's like I mean, the old Ghost. Over and over and over again.
2: It's the old Ghost and War Games channel. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir.
5: Thank you. All right. Should
2: we try one more? Why not? All right. Hi, uh... you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Final call of the day. Hello? <laughs> Thank you. Bye. All right. Thank it's 503 <laughs> Make a note. We'll be back tomorrow. No time to be fair to no another caller. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon for AM970 South State. Radio news from Tim Riley. The phone's Richie Bristol. The gatekeeper is Dave Zinn. Uh, the webmistress, Regis from Upstairs. Director of Engineering, Brian Jones. And CBS Radio Portland. Marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mara at 7. See you at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. Bye now, and thanks for listening. Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. Sit I like us. We'll see you all tomorrow. Bye now.